0: This week in West Memphis, Arkansas, two police officers are killed, two more wounded, and the shooters intend to kill again until 17 seconds of hell and the heroic actions of a conservation officer during an epic gun battle. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Game of Crimes. My name is Morgan Wright. I am the ultimate host of this show, and I'm here with... (laughs) My name is Murph,
1: and he is so full of crap, and he sounds like he's from Kansas. All you people from Kansas, I'm sorry you have to put up with
0: him, but God bless you. Well, he's literally my partner in crime, and as you can see, he's reduced his name to one syllable because he can't spell two syllables correctly.
1: And as you've told me before, this is an audio recording. They can't see anything. They hear us, Morgan. i hey, just mean, like-
0: checking you, Murph. You know, cognitive always worries, working on your cognitive ability here. Well, hey, you guys, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm telling you, by the way, Murph. When we put out Lou Velozzi's episode, uh, episode four, part one and two, we got a lot of comments from some of the women about how good looking, you know, Lou was. <laughs> I got those on Jeff too. They were saying Jeff is so much better looking than uh, Bradley Cooper and keep giving us the eye candy. And I'm going, wait a minute. What are we chopped liver? And yeah. then it struck me, you know, we are chopped liver.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you ladies are going to have to go take a cold shower or something, but it's going to, we're
0: going to keep bringing you the
1: good looking guys.
0: Oh, yeah. We got we got some coming up. And we got some ones, too, that are absolute characters. But uh, those will be fun. But look, Steve, that was, it's just amazing, too, because Jeff is so soft-spoken. We had a couple folks said, hey, you need to kind of amplify him up. Even though we did, you know, we worked on the recordings a lot, made sure the sound sound. Jeff, for, for, for what he pulled, he's just a soft-spoken, very humble guy.
1: And that's, you know what, that's the way a lot of the, uh, uh, the guys that are case makers are like that. They don't go around and macho and pounding their chest and guess what I did. They're just out there doing their job.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and you, I mean, after catching Pablo, the only thing you caught was a cold. So, you know, you just had to, you and just st- kind of. I've
1: got that down. I still catch
0: those. <laughs> I'm
1: good at catching colds, damn it. Caught my yeah. wife, or maybe I blackmailed my wife. Well, it's not one or the other. Anyway, we've been married a long time.
0: Yeah, well, you won't be catching too many colds down in Florida, although you will be catching a few sunburns. So yeah, that's baby. in the cards for you now, too, officially, isn't it?
1: Daddy will be wearing a hat. Well, you can see behind me here the... Uh, I had to no, box. I can't.
0: <laughs> I can, but nobody else
1: can. Oh, well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Holy cow. Keep up with me here, son. Well, you, you must be off your meds today or something. I don't know, but you can see everything's boxed up, boxed up behind me here. It doesn't have the, the industrial look as much as it did before, but yeah, we're ready to go. We'll probably be out of here in a couple months.
0: Ah, all right. Well, I'm going to have to go do my usual thing when people move that I don't approve of moving is usually go draw, you know, outline of a dead body on the thing, put up some crime scene tape or say, hey, site of the latest nuclear waste dump. You know, this property has you know, been condemned by the EPA. Right, let me get that contract and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, guys, before we get into the really good stuff, just a little bit of housekeeping. All right. Keep giving us the five-star reviews. And we say that because we sincerely appreciate the feedback. You guys have been emailing us, giving us ideas, letting us know some things we can work on. And we do. We take those to heart. We want to put out quality products. So anything you can do to help us, especially those five stars, get us up in the rankings. It helps us get the attention of advertisers as well as other people to listen to this, too. So we really appreciate this. Also, head on over to our website, Podcast.com. By the way, if you go check out Jeff's episode that we just posted, it. I posted a lot of the pictures, including uh, the link to the video of when Leo Sharp was caught. You didn't uh, put those and,
1: nudes up there, did you?
0: Uh, well, I, I redacted them out, so okay, uh, don't good, worry. Good. There's good. a big happy smiley face, you know, where Mr. <laughs> happy is. So <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's, uh, anyway. anyway, we will have some merch on there. Uh, we will talk about events, you know, but also get on our mailing list. That's an easy way for us to notify you guys. Also, it is official. We will be launching Patreon August 1st. Woo-hoo. Murph and I had some great, uh, as we mentioned, I think the last episode, great discussion with the uh, people at Patreon. They were really a big help. Big help also for Sarah, uh, James, and Jimmy. We had our you know, uh, kind of bi call with them, catching up on stuff. So, Upside Down Digital Network, you guys have been awesome. Thank you. Yes. Uh, if you want to go to PayPal.com, use our email address, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com, or go to paypal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever makes it easier for You to support the show and help us bring you even more fantabulous, exciting, just uh, you know, just immensely terrific content, right? (laughs) Immensely, that was multi syllabic, Steve. I was that means really great.
1: You had to get a thesaurus out for all that, didn't you?
0: (laughs) Nah, nah, I I got a built in whatever they're called in my head. All right, besides Uh, the plates, P brains, P brains, that's what that's called. Hey, now, quick disclaimer before we get into the good stuff. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad things doing, or bad. we talk about bad things. Yes, we do talk about bad things yes, done do. by bad people. And we also talk about bad people doing bad things to good people. But we're also talking about some good things that good people do. Uh, we take the story seriously, but
1: never ourselves.
0: Now, before we get into this, Murph, you know what time it is. <laughs>
1: I see, I already had my nap, so it must be time for
0: <laughs> small, small Town, town police, police Blotter! blotter. Oh, yay! Cue the music. Here we go. The <laughs> sirens. I, re- I remember having sirens like that in the day. Yeah. So, Steve, I'm turning the tables on you on this one. Uh-oh. First story is not a quote like a police blotter. It is about the police. Okay. And this comes from a little village in Scotland lot. Oh. So... A two-year veteran of a small Scottish police force was left red-faced after mistaking the planet Jupiter for a drone. Now, how did this happen? Well, according to the daily record, the officer was leaving her station late Tuesday when she noticed that a bright light in the sky appeared to be following her. She jumped on the freeway but couldn't lose it and called in the police complaints line saying she feared she was being pursued by a drone. She was told to return to the station, which she did. She was met by a senior officer. She was found standing in the parking lot with the hood up, trying to hide from the drone. <laughs> That's when she learned the bright light was actually Jupiter, which is quite visible on a clear night. Well, what the heck did she think the moon was then? Good Lord. <laughs> it's staring at me. It's staring at me. I can't take it no more. <laughs> All I can see is Scotty going, cop in. She's about to blow. Next one. Guess what, Steve? 2.34 uh, p.m. Okay. This is, what, this is probably not going to happen to you again. Um, a resident of the 100 block of Beck Mill Road reported her car was stolen. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds, you know, we've taken stolen car reports, right? The That's car legit. was located on her lot, but she had not recognized it with the snow on it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Does she live in the south where it never snows, or is she just stupid? <laughs> uh, well, look, if you, uh, you know, you're down there in Florida, and if the snow covers your car, pal, it's the, the end of the place. world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going to Florida. No more cold weather. Well, okay. here's what else you got to be careful of down in Florida. Monday, 1151, suspicious activity. Machinery running at the Butternut Feed Mill. You, you probably have one of those near where you're at. The Butternut Feed Mill. The owner said there are stray cats living in the mill and may have started the equipment up. What? They were fucking bored and they decided, hey, meow, let's start a machine here.
1: Well and who's gonna butter their nuts? I don't understand that
0: part. Sorry. <laughs> don't 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 go to comedy, Murph. You know, just, just stick with your day job for a bit. But cats, cats may have started the equipment. Look, if that equipment is that easy to turn on, you probably got a few OSHA problems, you know, coming your <laughs> way, pal.
1: Hey, we're both cat lovers, so you know, and dog lovers and some other Oh yes we
0: are. Dog. But if my cat's ever turned on heavy machinery like that, man. I'm going to get him a damn job. That's right. I'm going to patent that shit and, you know, retire. (laughs) Well, hey, Steve, this this one, though, is you. This one is absolutely you. Okay. July 29th. There was report of smoke in the house on South Elbow Bend Road, but no fire. Mm -hmm. It was found that the eyeglasses worn by the reporter were hazy.
1: (laughs) Oh, jeez. You, can't make, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, uh,
0: this is true, too. This is the kind of cause that cops get all over the all world. All I can think of is my cousin Vinny with the, the, the window up there that you couldn't see through. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my. Oh, well, you're right. Yeah, it's, oh, I clean my glasses. Nothing's on fire. All right. All right, Steve, this is the good one now. What year was it?
1: Uh-oh. Here we go. All right, I'm w- about I'm to w- read
0: w- you a story that occurred on July 26th. I'll read the story and then I'll give you the years. Okay. Not gonna read you the whole story. However, though, it does involve potentially somebody famous. Alright. Love proved his undoing is the headline of the article. The sub-headline is Roy Rogers was going to the aid of a girl when captured. According to this article, a woman was the cause of it all. To one of the fair sex, Roy Rogers, 17-year-old, lays the blame for his capture. What he did was him and his buddy, John Lake, 15 years old, handcuffed together, escaped from a guard while being taken to the state reformatory by jumping through an open window of the Missouri Pacific train. You know something about guarding trains. Hell, if you'd been on the job back in the day, which you might have been when I tell you the date of this article, <laughs> you would have stopped this from happening, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he believed he believed that he was going to go see Marguerite, who was 15 years old. Marguerite, Roy told the police, was gonna become his bride. He said that is if his success, if his escape had proved successful,
1: gonna become his
0: beloved, beloved. That's right. He called up the parental home and Marguerite, we're coming out to get ya. <laughs> Sounds like Andy Griffith, <laughs> <That's> Darlene. <exciting. laughs> I'm coming to get you, Darlene. Okay, Steve. Here it is. You have to answer the ultimate question. This occurred on July 26. Was it July 26, 1922? 1932 or 1942 by the way this came out of the kansas city times out of kansas city missouri was it july 26 22 32 or
1: 42 oh let's go with 32
0: and eh, wrong oh jeez
1: you just have to start feeding me the answers before we come on the air want to try it one more time 42
0: and eh, wrong again well one more time let's see 22 <laughs> uh, <well. laughs> There you go, <laughs> Captain Obvious. Oh, way to narrow it down like that. Yes, December or I mean uh, July twenty sixth, nineteen twenty two, and the thing, the I, you know, and I looked at it. However, it's not the same Roy Rogers that we saw in the film. This guy spells his name R O D G E R S, but still, Roy. When I first saw that article and I said, Roy Rogers. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right.
1: It sounds like Ernest T. Bass off of Andy Griffith.
0: Ernest, T. Darlene. I'm going to come a, get you, Darlene. Anyway, rock hey, we pocket. are dating ourselves. Anyway, so. I thought that was uh, I thought that was a great thing. I thought that uh, that the way that they used to write those articles. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You're not you're not telling stories on yourself, are you, Morgan? No, no. But anyway, Murph, I figured if you, if you were on duty, which you probably were back in 1922, this never would have happened on the train. That poor boy's in love. You in know, love. He just, he just needed a little help. Speaking of being in love, we got another good old Southern boy coming up on this episode. Now I get to introduce this episode because mm-hmm. uh, Mike and I go back a little over 10 years. Um, I had the opportunity and actually the honor uh, of being on stage at the International Association of Chiefs of Police back in 2011. Uh, Back at that time, the secretary of Homeland Security was Janet Napolitano. She was on stage with me. Uh, We were able to give Mike the award for international police officer of the year. He won it along with a um, drug agent out of Costa Rica, which actually, by the way, DEA put him up for the award and he uh, won an excellent award. So, uh, let me tell you, folks, if you ever wanted to know, and you're going to hear some things in this episode, you might at first think that sounds cold or that sounds disturbing. I will tell you, because I know I personally know Mike, um, this is kind of the defense mechanism for him. You're going to hear a couple times later, when we start talking about this, he gets a little choked up. Mm-hmm. It does affect him, Murph, as, as you know, we've all had folks who've been involved in stuff like this. You know, and when we talked earlier before, nobody goes around bragging about being involved in these things, but it's a defense mechanism for how you handle it. And so I'm going to tell you folks, uh, you know, the quick setup, this involves the death of two West Memphis police officers, one of the officers, uh, his father was the chief of police. He was found by his father, uh, rolled up on the scene. So this is the worst of all possible worlds. So, but let let me kind of stop there. Let's Let's get into this because Mike is a good old guy. We had quite a bit of fun with him. We'll obviously see him again. So, Murph, i got to ask you, before we get started, are you ready to play the biggest game of all, the Game of Crimes?
1: And we keep saying, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. This is going to be somewhat of a tearjerker, but it's going to be so realistic. So let's go, Morgan. Let's go. (laughs)
0: Amigos, amigas. No, this is not an episode of Narcos, even though Murphy's on here. Yeehaw. I have got two living legends on the podcast at the same time. Now, Murphy, I don't know what your part in this is, but I was talking about me and Mike. But we got a buddy of mine. You
1: guys have faces for radio. I have <laughs> yeah, faces yeah. for
0: video. We have got a buddy of mine. Um, we met uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, I think, in Chicago. And that's how we first came up, and then he's obviously got an incredible story, but hey, I want to welcome my buddy, former Arkansas Game and Fish officer, Michael Neal. Michael, buddy.
2: Yes, sir. Glad we finally got you. you. Yeah. Hope everybody's doing okay.
1: Welcome to the show, buddy. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to need interpreters because between your Arkansas accent and Steve's cross between Tennessee and West Virginia, ain't nobody going to understand what y'all saying. And when we start talking about getting a possum down there in the holler, Steve's going to get excited.
1: You don't know how to get a possum, do you? That's yes, I you do. And that. it's
0: O-possum.
1: O-possum. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> O-possum. We'll pray for you people from Kansas because that's where Morgan's from.
0: That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. Well, look, this this is going to be fun, too, because let me tell you, I I know because um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I was able to personally um, be part of the presentation when Mike got a tremendous award for what he did. But before we get into all of that, we got to learn a little bit more about Mike Neal. And I did some research, so don't think you're going to get away easy out of this, Mr. Neal, or should I say Sheriff Neal? There it is. So let's... (laughs) <laughs> there it is <laughs> hey well let's talk originally about why did you want to get into law enforcement i mean what what uh you know because i looked at this and i realized you were on the freaking fire department volunteer for 10 years what did you realize you needed a real hero and you became a cop
2: well, I, I was doing both i was i was trying to play the best of both worlds so
0: You're uh, not, officer of
2: yeah, yeah man i was uh i was an adrenaline junkie i chased everything fire truck police car ambulance it didn't matter uh, now, I started out as a young kid wanting to be uh wanting to be in law enforcement. We own funeral homes, and uh the we had a trooper that was killed, so we had his service and I was probably a ten year old Michael at that time and um I remember the honor guards coming in and how perfect everything was, and one of them needed his gloves dried. So, we lived in the funeral home, had a dryer and everything. So, we threw the gloves in the dryer and we we're sitting there waiting. And I can remember it plain as day and uh, it, him talking to me and how professional he was and how everything was just polished to perfection. I thought, man, I want to be that. So, that that's where it began for me. And I never could get rid of it. So, it was in the
1: blood at that point.
0: And that's unfortunate, too. Yeah, because nobody wants to go to a funeral, no, um, you know, for a no, con.
1: Did your funeral home
0: have a motto like
1: "We're the last ones to let you down"? Or it's a dying business. I, you know, probably.
0: Uh... <laughs> oh, Murphy! I didn't know you were going to go there. Yeah, <laughs> we did that before you came on, Mort. <laughs> hey, well, Mike, you heard about the uh, guy who was a fan of the uh, Arkansas Razorbacks? Uh, he died, yeah. and his last requirement was: he says, "I want." Um, six of the Arkansas Razorbacks to be my pallbearers. He wanted to be let down one last time by the Hogs. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You can say that for the Cleveland Browns or whatever, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> uh. Well, I mean, that had to be a hell of a, though, first of experiences that, uh, but like you say, you're impressed. And, and unfortunately, both Murph and I, and I know you have too, we've been to the funerals of officers who have died in the line of duty, and it's always such pomp and circumstance. But to see that at such a young age, um, what, when, you, when you got done with that, how did that impact you? I mean, like you said later, when, you know, the first funeral you went to when you were uh, on duty for a cop, how did, thinking back, how did that impact you when you went to that funeral?
2: Uh, yeah, it, of course, it always brings back memories. Um, uh, I remember that the first one, the entire funeral, uh, you know, even at 10 years old, that's how much impact that service had. So every other one you go to from that point forward just
0: amplifies, you know, the feelings of what we're here to do. So how long, how, what, what What? finally got you into law enforcement? Was, was Game and Fish your first uh, law enforcement job?
2: No, I started out as a deputy. I actually got on uh, as a reserve deputy three days after I turned 21, because I turned 21 on a Friday, so I couldn't get on. Uh, I had to wait till Monday to become a a deputy. Uh, So I started. Could drink
0: legally over the weekend?
2: I did, yeah, yeah. Just to make sure, I wanted to do this, but uh, the. I got on at 21 and I spent nine years as a deputy for actually the sheriff's department that I'm now sheriff, uh, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. And in 2007, um, I got recruited to the Arkansas Game and Fish.
0: Why game and fish? The other thing too, I got to tell you, it's tough because when I was in Kansas, it was Kansas fishing and game, and a lot of people, it's fishing game, but it's game and fish. So we got to keep game this straight.
2: So Arkansas, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, so Arkansas is the only one of the few states left that's run by commission. They have a board of directors that, that runs the entire thing and makes the laws for the next years. So it's it's set up a little different from most. Um, wildlife agencies but anyway getting back to why i become a game warden i never in my growing up years as a kid wanted to be a game warden i didn't hunt or fish didn't really care anything about it i was into hot rods and chasing girls so yeah,
0: nobody's out there running around going, "Hey, I want to write tickets for being in a, yeah. a river without a personal flotation yeah, exactly. device." Exactly.
2: Yeah, I never, <laughs> never wanted. I, would, I always want to be a trooper, to be honest with you, and I could never. See, get, it's I, what
0: I tell you, Murph. The great ones always want to be troopers. Yeah, that no, in, in <laughs> but not in Kansas. In our Kansas, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh god, here we go. Our Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Now, so. I I couldn't
2: get hired, state police, so. In my mind, uh, Game and Fish was trying to hire, and I thought, well, I can sneak in the back door. If I go to Game and Fish, I can, I can transfer over to uh, state police. That never happened either, but uh, it's a pretty funny story I, uh, how it all happened. There was a guy that I would see in the restaurants in small town, so everybody ate in the same restaurant. and uh, He was a real tall Clean-cut, always professional black guy, and I just admired him. Uh, Didn't know what he was. You know, he had a gun and badge on. I don't meet a stranger, so I went up and started talking to him one day. He told me he was a game warden. I was like, oh, cool, yeah, I didn't know what the hell that was. So I was like, oh, that's great. Well, this went on for probably two, three years. I'd see this guy and talk to him all the time. And he would tell me, boy, you need to be a game warden. And I tell him, Joe, I don't don't know anything about a game warden. You're the only one I've ever seen. I don't need to be a game warden. He said, no, we'll teach you everything you need to know. And I was like, man, I don't know about that. So finally, he comes in one day and he sits down at the table and slides his paperwork across the table. And he said, It's time to be a game warden, son. You need to give up on state police. <laughs> and he'd already started filling the paperwork out. You know, <laughs> talking
0: <laughs> about closing the sale already. Yeah, he's man. like,
2: This is done. You're fixing to be a game warden, boy. And uh, here we go. So I signed up and off we went. But heck of a ride.
0: Well let's go back to your reserve time. So when you first started off, you're a 21-year-old kid and I was 21 when I started on the the police department there in Salina, Kansas, North Central Kansas. Young kid, you know, you know, I just didn't know anything, right? But I knew I wanted to be a cop, but Tell us about the area that you were in. So uh, you're talking Monroe County. So where's Monroe County uh, in terms of the state of, Kansas? We're, <laughs> state of Arkansas? Kansas? Where's state Arkansas? The uh, we're we're central east central Arkansas. So
2: we're we're dead center in between uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Memphis, Tennessee. So we're
0: right how close are you to the Tennessee line? Uh, about seventy two miles. Okay. Well I was asking for approximately seventy two point one miles, so I didn't it's know you were gonna get that it. specific. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's sixty eight miles to Little Rock, so we split
0: the difference there. So uh, what kind of so when you were at so uh, Monroe County, how big of a county are we talking about? Six hundred
2: and twenty two square miles, uh, four full time deputies, two part time, and then there was reserve guys like me until I moved into to part time and then up from there. So
0: so, about what, four to 5,000
2: people in the county? 9,000. 9,000? In the entire county, yeah.
0: Real rule. So, tell me, what was a typical shift for you like when you started off as a reserve? Would you work what, one to two days a week, or how would that go? Yeah, that's,
2: well, no, I, I probably worked five to seven days a week because I loved it. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's pretty low volume calls. You know, uh, back then it was, you know, today's time it's a lot. A lot more hectic, but uh, it was easy. I mean, it was fun. Um, uh, didn't I don't think it was quite as dangerous as it is now, but uh, at least I didn't see it. Maybe I was just being naive, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it.
1: It's, it's amazing how much more dangerous it is, not just in the, the big communities, but the rural communities as well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, which you know, I attribute a lot of that to. The permissive society we've become throughout the United States just makes it much more dangerous for uniform law enforcement.
2: Oh uh, well, the, the, we're just a target anymore. That's like extra points, you know. If you can get a right. cop, so
0: right. So, w- what was kind of some of the uh, crime and stuff that was going on? So, uh, other than property crime, but like, were you guys getting hit with meth at that time? Was that an issue in your area?
2: Yeah, that that was back when the shake and bakes were going on. You were finding meth labs and vehicles. Uh, that was very common to get a meth lab out of a vehicle. So, uh, drugs has always been a thing; always will be, I guess. Yeah, and that are.
1: What, what, go ahead, Steve. The, the dangerous thing about those those we call them mom and pop labs, where they they cook it up in the trunk of their car or the back seat of the car. You know, the dangerous thing about that not only is the potential for blowing up when you're cooking. But they've got these toxic chemicals left over after the meth is produced, and they just dump it out on the ground. And that creates a a horrible environmental hazard. Yeah. You know, and nobody gives a crap. No, they're just dumping it wherever. Dumping it in your driveway, they dump it out in the woods.
0: Well, let me tell you who gives a crap. Is that if you're the agency that goes to remediate one of those meth labs and you don't, I think it was the EPA Superfund, wasn't it? You had to get clearance and get the money. You could be on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars for cleaning up that stuff if you didn't follow the rules.
1: That's right. And DEA used to be, uh, you know, DEA tried to support state and locals as much as they could with the with the uh, meth program. And it got so expensive having to clean up lab sites yep. that that's when they had to to get EPA and other agencies involved but you know you got these guys in these moon suits completely encased going in there and and the, you know heaven forbid you have a little crack in your suit or the maybe the tape's not tight around your wrist and those fumes get in there you're dead i mean that's how caustic this stuff is yeah. how dangerous it is
2: And you want to ingest it in your body no
0: well yeah speaking of being in a moon suit—that's what you got to be in. Anytime Murphy's been in the bathroom, you got to suit up when you go in there. So that's
1: right. But you know the way I look at that, Morgan, is you can be a leader, you can be a follower. And I choose to be a leader in that area.
0: Yeah, that's why I don't follow you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're having a little fun. Hey, so so uh, Mike, tell us about some of the uh, uh, calls that you went on that you remember fondly from those days. What was a uh, what was one that when you're sitting down having a beer and you're talking with your friends, what, what's one of the stories you tell from your reserve days before we get into to the uh game and fish
2: oh man i don't you know i, I hadn't thought about those days in so long I, there's so many I, you're talking 20 years ago yeah it was we always had well I tell, I tell you when we had a pursuit coming through it was a it was a shootout rolling pursuit running down the interstate and they were shooting trooper cars up and everything else and uh, one of the guys, he was like the head of the reserve, which he he works, he still works there. He's he's with me now, but I'll never forget. We were running; I was probably fifth car in line. And he was up in front of him, in front of me, and he screamed on the radio. He said, scoot over so I can bust him in the ass with a shotgun," you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and across the whole
2: whole pursuit radio <laughs> recording, bust
0: him in the ass with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah that's it's like watching funny. those videos out of la everybody wants to get in on no, the chase everyone, it's like where yeah. are you from i'm from nevada what are you doing yes. over here i heard you guys had a chase come on uh,
2: well you know we had that the other day we had a shooting that about two counties over and i was coming through and i pulled up and i was standing there you know and they were still you know had an officer shot actually and they were uh roping it all off and they turned around and looked at me and they're like oh my god why are you here you know,
0: I, you know, shots fired. I want to be a part of it. You know? You're right. bullet magnet. We're going to get uh, into that here in a little yeah. bit. Yeah.
1: yeah, but that's that, and you know, just to, not to to go off on a tangent here, but that's professionalism in law enforcement. It right. Doesn't matter where your jurisdiction is; you'll do anything to help another officer.
2: Uh, the call went out, and I was close, and man, I wheeled up in there. So,
0: yep. Yeah, there's a couple of times I remember as a trooper having a car stopped and all of a sudden you'd see this car pull over and get behind you. And I'm like and it's evening too, you know, so your first thought is, Who the hell is this and what are you doing back there? And then every now and then I'd see a guy, he'd like pull out his badge, he'd shine a flashlight, say I'm a friendly and it's like yeah. okay. Until we had somebody start impersonating cops and I'm finally like, If you, please, if you're gonna do that, just you know, pull up ahead or something, but do yeah. not pull behind me. I don't wanna to have to fight a battle on two fronts here. Right. Perfect.
1: You don't want to be stuck in the middle.
0: Well, hey, well, so Mike, um, you did the reserve stuff. So the, the, what kind of training did they give you to be a reserve? I mean, sometimes it's just you know they bless you like the, like, oh, bless you, you you know, you're ready to go. Here's a gun, here's a badge. Don't screw up.
2: Yeah, that was pretty close to that. You know, we uh, yeah. we had to go through a 120 hour auxiliary school, uh, which was a lot then. I think it was only like 90 hour was the quota. But we went through a 120-hour, um, so I had a pretty good handle on, you know, what was going on, I thought. Uh, and the rest of it was baptized by fire. <laughs> Throw you out there, swim, sink or swim. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. The tough survive. Yeah.
1: They put you out the training officer? Or- no. oh my god i'm
0: glad i wasn't down in that county (laughs) during that time what
2: i do why i do what i do
0: yeah there was no training officer it was just get out there and figure it out son all right so we're going back 20 years so what's the stupidest thing you ever did in uniform
2: the stupidest. The Well, let's see. There's probably a lot. Of there, there
0: are many. I know there are many. Just pick one.
2: <laughs> I don't think we've got all day. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably ramming my truck into a van shooting at me is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So,
0: <laughs> Well, we're going to save that one good one for later. Yeah. But prior to that, as a deputy, anything funny, anything you do, you look back on, you go, what the hell was I thinking?
2: Uh, well, yeah, there was, uh, <laughs> we were going around a house. We were, we were fixing to hit a house and I was gonna cover the back, so I was scooting around the back and I stepped off in a hole and went about waist deep and everybody stepped on me going by. They didn't <laughs> see me in I fell in like a sewer hole or something. <laughs> they
1: were all like <laughs> tropping, but it's like get me out of here! And they're like, what are you doing down there? It's like I'm stepping in shit, I think. But, yeah. I didn't want any of you to step in the hole. So I'm like I just <laughs> saw
0: that on America's <laughs> Funnest videos, and I think it was one of the old ones I've been watching on Disney. But you see a dash cam of a police officer walking up on the passenger side. He steps into a sinkhole. He goes all the way up to his crotch. He pulls his leg out. And now it's it's I don't know what's in there, but it's dark on that side. And he just kind of like, oh, it's all good. It's all good. I got this covered. He's up there. And I'm like, well, you know, so I got to tell you <clears throat> again, we don't want to de- we don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but that's part of the fun but i remember when i was a trooper one time you know when you're look the real is the reality is is when you're a long ways away from everything and you got to go you just got to go so we had these places where we knew we could pull off you know and and nature would call and we would uh, you know go out there and take care of nature and i remember one time seeing this car just It was through a stopwatch lane and it had to be going probably close to 100 miles an hour. And so I'm like, I'm running back to my car. I'm getting down there. I'm going after them. Finally, got these people stopped. I had them paced like at about 85 miles an hour. And I walk up and I'm thinking, this is going to be a good ticket, man. 85 miles an hour and a 55. You know what the fine on that is going to be? And I walk up there and it's this young lady and she starts, all of a sudden, she starts to cry. Then all of a sudden, she starts laughing. I said, I failed to see what the humor is. And she looked at me and then she pointed down. I'd gotten back in my car so fast I forgot to zip up. So um, <laughs> my first thing is, look, my name's Trooper Smith. Feel yeah. free to go. Just go. I, not I'm not writing you, a but. ticket at that okay. point, man. Okay, now, was she
1: laughing because you were unzipped, or she laughing
0: because I, don't she Don't even saw. go there, Murphy. Don't go there, Murphy. <laughs> Never saw it. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'll tell, tell you, I did have one like that. I, I, I had these two kids I was trying to catch as a game warden. And I got a call, and I, I ran out the door. And,
0: Wait a minute. Isn't it illegal for you to be trapping people?
2: I thought that you could oh, not trap people, uh, Mike. Game of Fish, we hunted people is so what we hunted. <laughs> we hunted the hunters. But I finally got to catch these two kids, and, man, I was giving them the what for. I mean, chewing their tail. And uh, after I got done, this one little kid, he said, uh, Mr. Neal, he said, oh, God, I have no disrespect in the world here. He said, but... Is that a My Little Pony sticker on your uniform? My daughter had <laughs> stuck a My Little Pony <laughs> sticker right in the middle of my chest, and I didn't know it. So, here I was being Billy Badass with a My Little Pony uh, sticker on my chest. Uh, on my you, uniform. And then you just look
1: at him and say, Yes, it is. What about I, that's what I said. I said, Damn sure I got three girls.
0: You got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah. Wait till you see my fingernails painted next yeah, week. Yeah. Girls, yeah, they do that. <laughs> Well, you know, and folks, we're laughing right now, but trust me, when you hear the story, it's not a laughing matter, but, you know, part of this is that there's a lot of good stuff and good stories that goes into it, but a lot of this is good training, you know, for the future, too, so, but, you know, so tell us now, when you went through the Academy then for Game and Fish, what was it like? How many people were in there? How long of a course did they take you through?
2: Uh, there There was 20 of us in the class, and it was 22 weeks long, and then we did 12 weeks of FTO after that, so... Training at Game and Fish was pretty extensive. First two weeks was hell weeks. You know, you didn't sleep. They PT'd you. They put you in a room to see if you'd fall asleep uh, while reading policy and procedure to you with the air conditioner going. So they do more devilish things to you. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And then the next few weeks, all we did was fight, shoot, and swim. Uh, so we had to swim a mile every other day, fully clothed. I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever done that, it, it sucks. Don't do that. Uh, I never want to swim again. My kids, we go to the pool and I'm like, Dad, come on, let's go swimming. I'm like, nope, I'm not getting it. <laughs> enough of that. Yeah.
0: Hard pass, kids, hard pass. Two
2: weeks of swimming like that, I was done with it. But, uh, yeah, the game of fish school was tough.
0: Well, that's so uh, obviously about the swimming is they were thinking at some point you'd either have to go out and rescue people or you guys are down working the water all the time. Uh, do You ever, what, you know, what are a couple of things you did around the water? Did you have to do any water rescues or, you know, go out and save somebody from themselves?
2: Yeah, you were always in a boat. Now, we spent a lot of time in a boat. So, uh, you know, it's pretty dangerous. You're pulling nets or something up, checking that. It's easy to get your gun belt hung in a net. And then you go in the water with it. So you got to be able to figure out how to do it. We carried knives on our gun belts, you know, right in front so we could cut our way out if we needed to. Uh, it's a pretty dangerous job when you got right down to it. Plus, you're, plus you're out there by yourself most you're, of the time, you're right? you by yourself and you're dealing with everybody you deal with has some sort of killing device. I mean, you That's
0: not- what I was about to say, man. That's the one thing with our fishing game, guys. Everybody's armed, you
2: know? Yeah, yeah dangerous
0: stuff. So, uh, now, did you guys have your own boat? Did you have assigned boats, or did you have to have a community boat, you know, that you shared among each other?
2: I, I had over $120,000 on my inventory, uh, just four-wheelers, boats, there was everything. I had four different boats to choose from, depending on what I was going to do that day. i go from a little bitty P-Rail boat all the way up to, you know, a 22-foot console boat. So... Nice. Yeah, they had, they had a little, yeah, all the toys. I'm going to tell you something. Game Warden's got all the toys. Night vision. Some of them have thermal imagers. I mean, yeah, you, got, you got all the toys.
0: How were you guys paid relative to other um, law enforcement agencies? Was the pay equivalent, more or less? It's equivalent to state. You know, you get on
2: your local levels, it's usually less. But I think the starting pay in 07 was 32000 which was pretty decent in our area. It wasn't bad.
0: What was was the worst kind of cases you had to work, um, the ones you didn't want to work when you were gaming fish? Uh,
2: Messing with turtle farmers. Uh, (laughs)
0: Turtles. Why is that?
2: They just stink. They're nasty. And pulling nets. Oh, God. Because you pull some of those nets up, and they're full of dead fish, and those smell good. Yeah. That was horrible. That was the worst worst thing. I didn't like that part. You get that crap all over you, and you smell like dead fish all day. Yeah. I was too pretty boy for that shit. So
1: <laughs> we can tell that by looking at you. On the yeah, yeah. I, didn't,
2: I didn't want my uniform dirty. You know they they always told me I smelled like
0: shoe polish and asphalt. I should have been a trooper. So. Well, see, I tell you, it's rubbing off on you, man. So, uh, did you ever now uh, were did any of these investigations or these cases? Did you ever run into organized gangs that were illegally harvesting or poaching or doing anything like that? Or was it a lot of it just locals? Most of ours
2: was local. No, we didn't. We didn't have much of that in my area. I'm not going to say it wasn't in other areas, but not in mine. We knew who was messing up. We knew who was trophy hunting at night, or you know, or the people that were actually killing stuff to eat to live.
0: How did you handle that? The difference between the folks who needed it and the folks who were just doing it for sport? Uh, well,
2: I don't work for the Game of Fish anymore, so I'll tell you the truth. I the people I knew who needed it, and I would bring them stuff, you know, roadkill or uh stuff we compensated uh, I turned a blind eye to them. I mean they're 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 living off the land to to live and support their family so i didn't care
0: you bring up an interesting thing too because a lot of people don't realize too a road kill a fresh kill the meat is going to be much better than if you have a deer which we had before might break into something or gets excited and it gets the toxins and stuff running through the muscles that that meat is just it's just not you know not edible at all so that's why a lot of times there were people running out we'd have a fresh kill and we'd have somebody come out and say hey you know we'll they'll come out and get it and they'll actually cut it up and donate it to a food pantry you know to local harvest or something like that Yep, sure did. You also worked a pretty big area. Tell us about the area of work because, I mean, um, similar to like a state trooper, like with me, I used to cover six counties. Uh, Steve used to cover, well, he basically made it out of his backyard most of the time. He was <laughs> did lucky did if did. he could find his way to the office, you know, except the times him and Kevin, which was a previous episode, were racing down the highway at over 100 miles an hour. Hey,
1: don't uh, give me a hot car if you don't want me to run it. I
2: had a Caprice as a deputy, so it was. we thought that was super fast.
1: Seven counties, you know, how did you
2: decide
0: each day what you were going to do?
2: Man, that was the best part of the job. You know, it was up to you to decide when you pulled out of your driveway if you went left or right. Um, Nice. Yeah, it wasn't something that you work on B from 8 to 5, you know. It it wasn't like that. Uh, As a game warden, they issue a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and it's kind of like a Hank Williams song. Uh, we worked like that. We we got up. And we worked when we wanted, and you know, as long as we produced good solid cases, they were they were happy. So, uh, you know, you kind of went where the crap was going on, depend on the season. So, you know, if there was boating season, I didn't have any big lakes in my county, so I'd go to a different county to work. Uh, hunting season at night, you know, we'd go to the to the levees where the big deer are, and we'd work those. So it was. It was just kind of, you had to know the area and what was going on. Then you picked from there what you wanted to do.
0: Now, was most of your stuff out and back the same day, or did you have to do some, you know, two, three day uh, stuff? Because seven counties is kind of a drive.
2: Well, I had a hopped up game of fish truck so I could get there pretty quick. But uh, <laughs> no, we did everything we did, we come home at night.
0: What was your typical week look like? What would, let's say, during the summer and stuff, you know, would, did you work weekends during the day? Would you, what, what did you like to work?
2: Yeah, you, you, so I had a schedule, and my schedule was I was off on Monday and Tuesday. That was my schedule. Turn in 80 hours every two weeks. So it was up to me to pick my 80 hours in those two weeks where I wanted to work. But you worked weekends. That's when all the, the public was out boating, fishing, hunting, whatever. So there wasn't weekends off. Um, but typical week, man, uh, I'd get up. I used to get up and go work out and take the kids to school, get them dressed, and then, uh, go out and see what I could find. Or I'd stay up all night working. You know, just I picked and choose what I wanted to do. It's a lot of freedom. It was a lot of freedom. I don't think it's quite that way anymore. I like they're tightened up on it, but.
0: Now that I got to tell you, you're right. That was the best feeling. You dressed up in your uniform, go out to your car, and you just kind of stick your finger in the wind. You go, which way am I going to go today? And it's just like. Yeah, I loved it. Let's talk a little bit more because um, you got on Fishing Game, you said, what, in 2007 or 2008? Yes, 2007. Seven, yeah. And then it takes you about uh, 22 weeks in the academy, another 12 weeks after that. So, Steve, for you, that's 34 weeks. Thank you. You know, I so. That. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, seven to eight months. I mean, you know, before you're really actually out on your own. Right. Um, and so now we're into 2008. So you've only got a couple years on the road before we're, now we're going to start kind of getting into the incident now before this starts happening. But even though you only had a couple of years with fish and game, you had the reserve time and it even had the firefighter, right. uh, you know, training before that. Right. So you had a good, probably what, 10 to 12 years of experience under your belt before 2010, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 12 years. Let's kind of get into this too because, um, Before we actually get into talking about the incident, uh, May 10th, 2010, let's kind of set the context because you and I were talking earlier and we were talking about, you know, what was some of the stuff that was going on out there? Now, did you ever get bulletins from the FBI on extremist groups? And the reason I say that is there used to be a group called the Covenant Storm Arm of the Lord, CSA, that actually started out of Arkansas. It was big in the 70s and 80s until it basically got uh, disbanded. But I remember um, it was started by a guy named James Ellison. And uh, they actually grazed their own food, had a weapons cache uh, on a 224-acre area in northern Arkansas. So, you know, there were pockets of that, you know, in Missouri. So during that time, did you guys ever get any FBI bulletins or uh, any other types of alerts on gangs, drugs, you know, things like, you know, uh, extremist groups like that, Aryan Nation, biker stuff, anything that you guys routinely dealt with in your area?
2: No. No, there was no, no, there was no information sharing at that point. Uh, I think 9-11 started some information sharing, but filtering all the way down to, you know, the reserve or part-time deputies, even some of the full-time, we didn't get it, you know. So a lot of times the information wasn't dispersed. And in 2010, when all this happened, well, I didn't even know what a sovereign citizen was. I had no idea.
0: Which interstates ran through uh, your area? Too, you said you worked. Uh, there's some chases on interstate.
2: Oh yeah, we have I-40 that runs through our county.
0: That is a big dope pipeline, isn't it? Big dope, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got dope going east, and money going west. Money coming west, yeah. It's, it seems we've had those discussions too, haven't we, Murph? You know about the oh, yeah, uh, yep. yeah. You know, you drive the dope up north, dump, dump it off, and then drive the money, you know, back down south.
1: So 95, brother, big corridor.
0: Yeah, so. Were, did you uh, did, did you run back up on some of those stops where guys were seizing things? Did you show up, you know, like you said, you'd be out in the area. Did you back them up on some of those seizures?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I went where the action was. I was bad about that. It didn't matter what county was in. I was going. You, know. but, <laughs> you got to chase some of your guy. Yeah. Where is uh, it? Yeah, something going on. I'll be in the middle of it, but.
0: Talk about one of the, because the reason I'm saying this, is kind of sets the premise for the two West Memphis police officers, but uh, set the stage, you know, w- w- tell us about a couple of the, you know, backups, you know, when you back somebody up, some of the seizures that, you know, that you remember occurring there on I-40. Uh, you know,
2: we had a trooper there. His name is Rodney Myers, and Rodney was really good at, at dope seizures. And I remember him getting trucks with, they would have false beds in them. Uh, you know, he'd walk by, stick his arm down in the bed, and he knew, you know, how deep the bed should be. And that's how you'd catch them uh we they were we got one with the suburban had cocaine in the roof uh they made a false ceiling in the roof put it full of cocaine so there's there's quite a bit that moves through there that we get there's so much more that you know you miss to go through it was fun watching them cut up those cars
0: because they caused this fire department. The car wouldn't even tore up we're thinking, yeah big it was, ass sawzall tool and start going to town man Put a K 12 to the roof. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you ever tear up a vehicle, Murph, just for fun, huh? Looking for dope?
1: Never, never. I was all, you know, everything was 100% uh, positive. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you what I did see, though. I saw U.S. Customs in Miami on the Miami River pull a, a, a beautiful yacht. Had to be close to a million dollar yacht. Uh, pulled it up alongside the dock, and they would take the the saws with the little round heads, you know, the big round heads, like you're making a, a big hole in the door, and they just go through and drill holes through that yacht all the way through. And when it came up negative, they apologize and file a claim. Holy cow! But I mean, you got, you know, they have the jurisdiction. They, if you're coming into the United States, they have, the, they had the legal authority to search anything, anywhere if you're coming into the U.S. So that was that was cool thing about working with them because, you you know, you didn't have to get a search warrant.
2: They had that authority already. I did see a couple of times uh, some officers, I won't even go into who or what or where, but they had drills and they would drill a hole and check the bit if it come back with green or, White on it, you know. They gonna rip it in the car. If not, they'd wipe a little silicone on it, and they were done.
0: <laughs> <But> <laughs> uh thank God for canines. That kind of helps solve some of the uh, destruction problems, you know. Hey, speaking of to that too, um, did uh, did you guys uh, on uh, game and fish? You guys have your own canine unit or anything, or specialized units like that?
2: I was on the canine for a while. We had, uh, but ours were tracking dogs and art recovery. So we could find guns or whatever somebody threw, um, anything. Our dogs were good at finding articles or people. Uh, they weren't. What,
0: right. what were they tracking? The scent of the person on the article, or did did some of the articles have its own like a firearm or stuff? Were they keying in on uh, powder or something like that? I
2: mean, you're going down a rabbit hole there with a canine, but you know their their sense of smells over hundred thousand times stronger than ours. So when they smell the dirt. They smell the grass, they smell the rocks, they smell the pollen. They can separate the smell of everything in the dirt. Uh, So I used to do demonstrations for schools, and I'd take a set of keys and throw them out in the woods. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, you're never going to find those keys. Well, a key is the best thing a dog can smell. They can smell those keys because they smell the scent of the person on the keys. They smell the the fabric softener in your in your pants on the keys, the metal of the keys. You know, so that, that was easy. Uh, so the dog, they man, they can smell
0: anything. It's crazy. So you said you, you had a canine for a while. How long did you have one? I was on there for about a year. And where do do those dogs go for training at? Um, Because there's a huge area out here in Front Royal, Virginia, you know, by where Steve and I are at a lot. I think ATF does some stuff down there, Steve. I don't know if DEA does, but where did your dogs come out of uh, that you used for game and fish?
2: Uh, So they come out of the pound uh, back then. (laughs) We'd go to
0: the park oh. Yeah, like for a, <laughs> it, here. It, I was thinking this big. We got this big fancy school, and it's like, no, junior here was about to get put down. We're gonna te- we're gonna keep him. Yeah, we'd walk
2: through there and we'd bounce a tennis ball, and if the dog's head bounced with the ball, we'd pull it out and see if it work. And that's really? that's how we got the majority of our dogs. I think now they buy their dogs, but uh, you know, you're talking two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, you know, we're rescuing dogs before it became popular. Right? Rescuing dogs, and we'd take them, we'd train them ourselves. If they made the cut, then they went with us. If not, we sent send them back to the pound and
0: look for another one. What was the best breed for I that? used lab. That's the main okay. thing. Yeah, lab. Well, I like just as long as it wasn't a meth lab, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. But don't, <laughs> yeah,
1: don't give up your day job.
0: All right. Well, look, because yeah, the reason I'm doing this, we're trying to set a lot of context, is that a lot of times when this is going on, I 40 is a big corridor, you know, for dope and trafficking. A lot of stuff working on there. You know, a lot of agencies involved, right, in drug interdiction out there, Mike. So between the state police and local agencies, county, you know, just along I 40, probably what, at least 50, 60 different agencies working interstate along Arkansas doing that?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know how many there is, but it's quite a few. There's a like, lot, uh, what is there, 270 or 283 miles of I 40 stretches across. From one end to the other, so but wow, fifty five. You got four thirty. You got you got a whole bunch of interstates there.
0: Got a lot of stuff. So there's always there's always activity going on. Now let, let's talk. Let's talk. We're moving up towards now uh, May tenth, twenty ten. But let's talk about where West Memphis is in relation to where um, you were at in Monroe County, and let everybody know where West Memphis is in relation to the state.
2: Uh so West Memphis is the far east. Um, there's a reason it's called West Memphis, because it's on the west side of the Mississippi River. And the Mississippi separates West Memphis from the third world country of Memphis. You ever get a chance to go there, don't. But,
1: hey, Mike, that's where I was born.
2: Oh, I love it. That's fine. Quite frankly, Mike's description is
1: fairly accurate there,
2: Merv. Well, Just to let you know. Hey, I lived there for about six years, so I, I know. But
0: Shelby County is a rough place. Shelby County is a rough place.
2: But, yeah, yeah so it's, it's far east in the state, as far as you can go.
0: Now, did you work over in that area a lot with your regular duties as game and fish? Yes, we worked. So we
2: had seven counties, and we were split into a post. So I was in the east post, which covered uh, Crittenden County. That's West Memphis, Cross, Phillips, and Lee. So I was in those far river counties on the east side of the post.
0: So... Let's talk about that day, because May 10th, 2010 is when, and the, I'm kind of holding off on details because I don't want to get a far ahead of myself, but for you folks who've listened to our intro and we talk about it, I mean, this is the shootout, as Mike was saying, with the two sovereign citizens. So, But what? how did your day start off for you that day? T- typical day, just putting on your uniform, hopping into the truck?
2: Uh, so the way that week fell, I had court on Monday, so it threw my days off to Tuesday and Wednesday. So Thursday, May 20th, was my day on. That was Monday for me. Um, that day, I had I had been working um, security, pipeline security, coming through. We were making twenty five dollars an hour to sit there and watch bulldozers all night. Uh, so I'd been working security that night before. So when I got up the next morning, I got home at like six thirty. Was the kids were getting up and going to school, and you know you can't sleep through that. So. I got up about 8, 30, and went, you know.
0: So you basically had zero sleep that night then. I was tired.
2: Yeah, I was wore out before, before we even got into the, the full day of May 20th. Uh, yeah,
0: and before you go farther, too, but but that's a fact of life. I did the same thing. I don't know if you did, Murph, when you were, uh, uh, you know, working the police department. Or very, a lot of cops had second jobs because the, the money just wasn't there, right? So you pulled these extra shifts, extra duty, you know, did something part-time.
1: You had to. You had to to make ends meet.
0: Sure do. And so, so here we are, we're working, um, you know, these extra jobs and stuff. And so you get home, I mean, you basically got no sleep. You've been up most of the day before watching the, watching the bulldozers. That had to be exciting, right?
2: It was fun. Yeah. I was watching training videos and just didn't realize it. <laughs>
1: I, was, I was
2: up that night watching training videos. I watched Bad Boys One, Bad Boys Two, Two SWAT, cops, Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> back when that counted as training. Yeah. So, but So, but the other thing too. So, you're getting up that day. What's your standard? What's your standard uniform like for working uh, game and fish? You know, what do you? Uh, you know, uh, utility, is it, uh, you know, more uh, like what you might see with state police? How are you guys usually dressed? Uh, we were all
2: utility uh, the whole time. The only time you were in a class A uniform was court or if you were in trouble going to the main headquarters <laughs> or, or if you're you know, um, business attire is what that was. So the rest of the time we were wearing proper uh, BDU bottoms and the summertime they allowed us to wear a pullover, knit pullover shirt. And that's what I was wearing that day. Was a gray pullover that was considered our boating uniform. It was a little cooler. Uh, you could be in a boat with that, but you know, with a pair of shorts, which I don't wear shorts. My legs blind everybody. But um, so yeah, I was uh, that day. I was I was in a gray proper shirt. I still have it actually, um, and the pants, green pants, green jeans.
0: And get into the equipment too, because you know the other thing too that. Uh, i actually weighed myself one time, you know, just in my skivvies. Then I put on my uniform. And by the time I put the vest on and everything else, it, it sometimes it can add an extra 25 to 30 pounds so on top of you. And, you, you know, you've got your uniform. You've got the vest, right? You had a vest on that day? Nah. <laughs> no, we'll get into that, but no. Oh. Dude, well, the, we, we we will get into that because uh, because that's a key thing. But you had your utility belt on. You know, you had a lot of, you know, uh, stuff wrapped around your waist, which was always comfortable to sit in a vehicle with, right?
2: Yeah, that, that's why my back hurts. Well, I'm sitting sideways right now. My back's killing me. But uh, that and fighting and doing stupid stuff we did. But, yeah, you get a lot of weight on, you know, the, with your equipment, but minus the fest.
0: And for you guys down there, what was the humidity like on a regular summer day? You guys pretty bad in that area?
2: 95 to 98. Uh, it was horrible. You walk outside, and it's instant sweat bath, especially wearing a vest. and run out the bottom of your pants. You know, it was just so hot. Yeah, it gets really hot.
0: Well, if you ever had to go, you could just say, look, I'm just sweating, folks. I'm not peeing my pants. It's just sweat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so you climb in. What times your day start uh, on May 10th? May twentieth. Um, I mean May twentieth. So, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, I I started by the time I got in the truck, it was probably nine o'clock. Um, and I and, and this is where it all began. Is I was tired, and I thought, man, I'm going to make this an administrative day. That so we had to go and check our tickets to, to get um, you know the final they were found guilty or what. So I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this administrative day today, which was code word for I wasn't going to do anything. I was going to ride around air conditioning and go sit at the sheriff's department and let my time run out. So I got up, put on my, my pants and my badge, and my guns, and uh, I thought, well, I don't need a vest today and I ain't doing anything. So I left my vest at the house and went out and got the truck. Luckily for me, I'm that guy, man. When I pull up, I bring enough for everybody. You know, uh, I had an extra vest and stuff inside the truck. So that it worked out.
0: So, start from there. So, so you're out. Um, and the other thing, too, that was interesting is that before we really had all the good technology and we could um, have one radio that could handle scan multiple channels, what did the inside of your truck look like with all the different counties you're working with and all the different sheriff's office and people you're liaisoning with? You know, how, how many radios or how many different channels were you monitoring at any one time?
2: So, I had four actual radios in my truck. Um and then they all had different frequencies that they would scan on their own whether it was 800 digital the 400s um some of them the 150 bands so you know they were scanning everybody all the time and that's that's kind of where this all begins is i'd got up and went to work and was riding around and uh my dad actually was setting up for a service a funeral service that morning, and wasn't far from me, so I pulled in and talked to him, helped him for a few minutes, and uh, that's that's when it that's when it began. As I walked out and I got back in my truck to go, and every one of those radios were talking. Every one of them, somebody was saying something, and they were stepping on each other over the radio frequencies and. Uh, I, I remember hearing investigators checking their out, SWAT teams checking their out. I was like, holy crap, what, is, what has happened?
0: And let's put this and in perspective for folks. This is a little bit before noon, right, or somewhere around noon when this is going on?
2: It's about 11.50 in the morning, somewhere along in that, that time. Uh, the actual traffic stop was around, I want to say, 11.35-ish. And then, the you know, everything really started going on about eleven forty nine, eleven fifty. so that's that's when the radios were blowing up when I got in the truck and I got a good buddy he's he's now a lieutenant over patrol in, the, in our area uh, but he was CID SWAT for and which agency him, Arkansas State Police and uh, I called him and his siren was running in the background I said what are you doing are you late for coffee you know messing with him and he said, no, man, we got a bad deal in West Memphis. We got two cops have been shot um, with AK-47s. And, you know, when troopers, and, and Morgan, you'll understand this, uh, when troopers speak, uh, the, the, it writes itself in red. Does that, does that make any sense to you? Yeah, because when Jesus spoke in the Bible, it was written in red. Yeah. So it's their God, right? You you understand that as a trooper, don't you? So our word, yeah. our word in, carried a in, lot. Yes,
1: yeah, in their own minds, in their own minds. That's yeah,
2: exactly right. right yeah, right. So, you know, but what a trooper tells you something, you believe it. You go with what what you're told. And he said that you know this is possibly an MS13 hit on the drug interdiction teams. They were shot with AK-47s.
1: Now, what's MS-13? Can you explain that to the listeners?
2: No, I think you'd probably be better off <laughs> explaining them. MS- <laughs> I can't. You get me way out of my pay grade. So,
1: um, if you don't know what MS-13 is, and we're not going to give them any glorification here, it's it started down in Central America. It's a group of uh, criminals that have migrated to the United States. Uh, there's nothing glorious about them. They're they're thugs. They're murderers. They're dope dealers. They're human traffickers. They're the worst of the worst, and and where Morgan and I live, we have the second largest concentration of MS-13 in the United States.
0: And MS stands for Mara Salvatrucha, which in um, El Salvador it stands for the troops of El Salvador. A lot of these guys actually started off as guerrilla fighters, and then they became criminals. And a lot of them, you'll see their their entire face is tatted up. So, and exactly, you know. But the thing is, Mike, you bring up a very good point. A lot of us start off with imperfect information, but because we get that bias that locks into our head, it's what happened out here with the DC sniper. What was everybody looking for? A white panel van. And it ended up being a blue Mercury or a blue uh, Chevy Caprice was the vehicle. But everybody, including cops, were looking for that. So, I mean, you're thinking. Now, the thing is, too, it's plausible, right? It makes sense. It's like, hey, if MS 13 is running dope and somebody stops one of their loads, is it plausible that, you know, a couple of guys would come along? Obviously, an AK 40 something, AK 47 to something, and then MS 13 Arsenal that they could use. But when you heard that, what went through your mind when you thought this is a drug hit? You know, did you. Did it? Did it? Like you go? Yeah, that sounds like that could happen. Or you're like, man, that doesn't sound like West Memphis.
2: Oh no, absolutely. I, I I thought, oh wow, this is legit because that drug interdiction team was tearing some tail up, taking names. I mean, they were they were doing a heck of a job. So it didn't surprise me because everybody knew. I mean, they were just they were hammering them. Uh, so I thought, well, that, that's probably legit. They they want to take them off the map because it's hurting business. You know. So that, and we all thought that. So going into it, we already had misinformation, and misinformation and communication to get you killed. I mean, because what we what we were initially looking for and what we actually found was two different things.
0: What was the initial vehicle description, if any, that you guys were given? You, you're thinking, hey, it's MS13, couple gangbangers. Any vehicle description to start off with?
2: So why, why don't I just start with the traffic stop, and I can lead into that? All right. Well. So, what happens is Bill stops a Dodge minivan. I think it was a Plymouth, a Chrysler, or something like that. They all look the same. It was,
1: Bill.
2: Um, it was Bill. All right. So, Bill Evans is a West Memphis drug interdiction officer. He's a SWAT operator, uh, FTO, field training officer. And, I mean, the guy knew what he was doing. He's legit. So, he makes the initial traffic stop, um, starts it, it goes for about two miles. These full of lights and sirens. They weren't stopping, but they weren't running.
0: Are these single man cars or are they working in the same car?
2: No, they're single man cars, but there's like four or five of them patrolling that area. Okay. So they're not far from one another. So he calls it in. He radios in, runs his plate on the tag, and it comes back to the house of God in prayer out of Ohio. So that kind of, that's where I start this is that, you know, you start thinking about how you would handle the situation as I talk about it. So what does that put in your head when
0: they said house of God and prayer?
1: You're thinking it's going to be a clergy, it's going to be a church group.
0: Church van, something like that, some big thing. Something like that. So
2: uh, already you got to think about your officer safety mentality. You're running a church van. So all of a sudden the truck takes the 275 biomarker exit. Uh, He gets out and he walks up, and that's where he starts. That's when the red flag should have been popping off. This is where we didn't know what we were getting into at this point. None of the officers did. So when you stop a sovereign citizen, they're going to start saying crazy things. You know, they're free man traveling upon the land. You have no rights above them. They don't have to have a driver's license. And then they may give you their creed, you know, and it looks almost legit. It has seals and... Uh, documentation that looks governmental um, and then writing all over. It's, It's pretty crazy to see, but Bill didn't realize what he got. So when you walk up and, you know, you're expecting driver's license registration proof of insurance and they hand you this document, I always ask people when I'm training them, what do you do with that? Well, you give it back. 'Cause you didn't ask for that. Yeah, you know, I didn't ask you for your, your your sovereign citizen documentation. I asked you for your vehicle registration or driver's license. So that that should have been the red flag if he would have known what he was looking for or known anything about them, but we didn't. So he's handed that information and that's where he starts getting distracted. And that's where the traffic stop. And you can watch all this traffic stop on YouTube.
0: And I'm telling you, before you folks do, um, uh, you don't see a lot of what goes on, but it's very clear. And and I think what you're talking about, too, Mike, is that um, uh, Bill's got, it looks like this very long sheet of paper that you start unfolding and unfolding. And it almost looks like a map. You're unfolding this map and lots of, he's got lots of paper there that he's, and what does that do? That ties up both your gun hand, you know, and your other hand as you're busy and you're distracted. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, I've watched that video. I can't tell you so many times like you say and it's like um you start looking for the red flags we're, we're not here to second guess the folks i mean this is from a training standpoint we're saying you know hey what what was out there but go ahead
2: yeah it was that's everything they do is a distraction uh you know they had dogs inside the car those are distractions you know because one they got teeth they'll bite you uh, so bill was pretty distracted he and you there's no audio but you can tell in body language what he's saying and you can you can tell him, you can see where he tells the driver, step out, come back here with me. And he walks to the back of the van. And in that video, if you're sitting there watching it, you'll
0: notice the brake lights are still on. Hey, and Mike, tell him about the occupants of the vehicle. Who's who, how many people are occupying this vehicle, and how old are they? What's their sex?
2: All right. So yeah, that's that's another key point. Is when Bill walks up, the first person he come in contact with was a 16 year old kid. And the kid's clean-cut, good-looking, smart kid. Uh, In between the kid and the driver, adult male, 45-year-old male, uh, is church materials, bulletins, Bibles, stuff like that. So that's really thrown Bill off at that point. You know, this is, he's safe. You know, you can see in his officer demeanor that he feels more comfortable. You know, this is just a father and a son and a, a preacher and his kid or something. So, and then he's handed this paperwork, and he's confused by that paperwork, and that's where he walks to the back of the van, and tells the driver to get out. Well, the brake lights are still on, so they're trying to decide at that point: are they going to run or are they going to fight? And who's driving at this point? The adult male, the father. So they're trying to figure out what their next step is. And you know, I've I've watched cops. You see them people park on top of police cars. They do a lot of dumb crap. On traffic stops, so you never know what somebody's going to do. And I taught this class for—I've taught it for years. I was a game warden, and I was out working one day, and I was bored to death. And I was working the national forest, and there was a truck pulled up in the woods. And you, where he was at, you couldn't have vehicles. And I thought, oh man, I get to write a ticket. I got kind of excited, you know. So I go pulling up there to him. And he pulls out. And I thought, ooh, all right, you got something to hide. This is going to be fun. So. I pull in behind him, I turn all blue lights on, you know, and I get out. It's a brand new truck, it had pretty blue lights all over it. So I get out and I'm walking up. Well, I'm distracted because I'm I'm checking out my cool truck. It's brand new, it's got a lot of blue lights on it. You know, I'm like a kid, and I like blue lights. And I walk up here, there's a little redneck kid sitting there in the seat, driver's seat, and he didn't got a shirt or nothing on. And I said, Hey, scooter, I said, I need to see your driver's license, registration, proof insurance. He said, Well, I ain't got my driver's license with me. I said, Well, I go figure. I said, well, that's all right. I got a handy-dandy notepad right here built in on my hand. Give me your name and date of birth. So I said, all right, his name and date of birth on my hand. And I said, all right, screw stay right here. I'll be right back. And I go to walk off, and I look down. His brake lights are on. And I thought, huh. And that's as far as it went. It was just a flash thought. I'm too busy looking at the blue lights on the truck cause they were cool. And I walk up, as soon as I got past his truck, I hear him put it down in gear, and he takes off. And I was like, holy shit, I've seen this on cops. And I run over and I get my truck.
0: And your, your truck with the pretty blue lights still going, right?
2: Certainly, yes. And I get in it, and we have a pursuit through the national forest on gravel about 80 miles an hour, but he crashed and hit a tree. I don't know what happened. Um, and I tell everybody, did they teach you anything about articulation in the academy, how to articulate your report? It's very key that you listen to that because I jumped out of my truck and I ran up there and looked at the front and there wasn't a mark on my truck and I was like, "Yep, he lost it in the curve, sir, and hit a tree." <laughs> 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 I don't work for the game <laughs> of fish anymore. I'll tell you, I rammed him right in the rear in
0: a curve. And I put him right in a tree. Which but is called him. a pursuit intervention technique. So the pit maneuver. That's uh, it was more of a, a hit than a pit, but
2: uh, I got him. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know so those brake lights being on on that that van's pretty important. Yeah, that's that was the turning point for them. They're trying to decide, or are we going to fight or... Fight or flight, yeah. They chose to fight. So watching that video, uh, as cops, you know, we read people. We look at people. um, You know, go sit in the mall and read the idiots that walk through the mall. If that doesn't entertain you, go to the airport. It gets even better. So reading body language, when he steps out of that van... He's got that 1,000-mile stare at Bill. I mean, he's just studying him, just a big, blank stare. This guy's six, six two, probably 300 pounds. He's a big guy. So he's staring Bill down, and then he immediately turns to go to the car where the door had shut. So I felt like by watching his body language and his demeanor, he wanted to go back in that car. So when somebody immediately tries to go back to the car, what are they doing? There, there's a couple of things going on here.
0: They're reaching for something they shouldn't be. Yeah.
2: Or they want to protect something in there. Yeah. There's something going on when they want to go in there. And I always tell people in training, you know, I I was a game board and I was out there by myself. And I stopped a lot of vehicles. And, you know, especially trucks. And on the back of the trucks, you know where you hook your boat on that little silver ball? And then you put your chains underneath there? You know what I'm talking about? Did you know you can handcuff people to those things? Because I've seen me do it; it works pretty good. Just, but just make
0: sure you don't drive off with them still chained to the bumper, Mike. Just a, a piece of professional advice.
2: Yeah, they're bumpers; so. <laughs> <laughs> they can't drive off back there. So, uh, yeah, it's all about our uh, uh, officer safety and articulation, right? So, uh, yeah. But getting back to it, yeah, he at that point. He decides, once that door's shut, I, I'll go ahead and go along with this for a minute. And they walk back to the back of the van.
0: And at this time, hey, Mike, sorry to interrupt, but at this time, it's just, it's just not uh, Bill there, too, right? You've also got um, his partner has shown up, which is uh, Robert. He's not there yeah,
2: yet? He, he's not there yet. Yeah, this is in the beginning. So
0: this is just solo. So it's just Bill right now by himself.
2: He's solo. So they, he, the suspect will has maintained control of the traffic stop through this whole thing without Bill even realizing it. He keeps Bill to the right-hand side of the camera, the passenger side, the entire time. He, he doesn't want to be in front of that camera. If you go back and watch that video, you'll notice he keeps walking to the passenger side. He wants to get away from the camera because he knows that camera's running in there. And as they're talking over there a few minutes later, that's when uh, Brandon, Powdered, he shows up. He wasn't radioed to the to come there. He just knew Bill had been out of the car for a while and went to check on him. And he comes up the wrong way of the entrance ramp. All that's on YouTube also. And you'll see the placement of suspect officer at that point. And that's where Brandon pulls in, right behind Bill's Tahoe. So Bill's Tahoe's primary vehicle and the way they ran their system was Uh, The primary vehicle kept his camera on. Secondary vehicle could turn theirs off because Brandon's was old tape system. So they had to change the tapes. Bill's was a brand new uh, digital system. So and talking about that, uh, which is a great camera system. But if you don't download it, you know, it fills up. And Bill's camera system was completely full.
0: And it was going to over start overriding things.
2: It was already overriding, It it took the date and time information off the screen. It was recording into the audio box, you know, where the audio should have been saved on the traffic stop. It was recording over that with video. Is and that it why there's a- no
0: audio? Because, I, like you say, there's video, but was there? did they ever recover any audio from the tape?
2: No, he had a body, cam- or body mic on, uh, and it was functioning. It was just the camera system was so full it was recording over itself. And it had fallen into that uh, audio section. It was so full to the point that when investigators got there on the scene and tried to pull the camera up, it wouldn't pull up. They couldn't view what had happened on the camera on the scene. They wound up having to pull the the, master, the brain system out of it, and they put it on an airplane that day and flew it to the company so they could jailbreak it and get in and see what had happened. Hey,
0: quick question about that too, Mike, did, did he call out uh, to the dispatcher with the traffic stop, give a description of the vehicle and, and everything like, Mm -hmm. like normal.
2: He did run the tag. Uh, So he, he'd done all that. And the way their, their radio system works is they have three dispatchers in a room. Uh, One and two dispatchers are answering nine one one. And the second dispatcher's overflow and they're both running traffic for the officers. You're about a hundred man department, so you've got quite a few officers on patrol all the time. And you have a third dispatcher. She is running the special teams like the narcotics teams, investigators, SWAT. That's what she does. They're on a separate channel from main flow traffic. So that's interesting you pulled that up because that's pretty important here in a little bit. But when Brandon gets there on scene, You'll notice in the camera, uh, the bottom left of the camera, you'll see an arm. So they've got him with his hands on the passenger fender of the Tahoe. And Bill's standing right behind him. And Brandon's standing right between the van and the Tahoe. So you can see Brandon standing there. Well, behind Brandon is the van. And you'll notice at some point the kid's head disappears behind the behind Brandon's shoulder
0: and the kid is sitting in the passenger side of the van at that point
2: yes he crawls to the back he gets an AK-47 loads it crawls back into the front and that's when he crawls over he immediately sticks his head out the window makes eye contact with his dad at the same time he opens the door he doesn't throw it open he just barely pops it open and waits so this is where looking at this, this you can see this is this is training you know, if you didn't recognize that, that's he was trained. He knew he didn't just throw that door open and come out spray it. He waited. He waited on his dad, and his dad makes eye contact with him, spins around, grabs Bill Evans, and slams him on the ground so hard it knocks the magazine out of his Glock. So you'll see, uh, he, he grabbed uh, Bill. I'm sorry slam Bill on the ground, and you'll see Brandon kind of react to the fight. And that's when the boy throws the door open and comes out with a rifle.
0: Before you get to that part, though, too, talk about that Glock. Now, when a magazine comes out of a Glock, there's still one round chambered. On a Glock, he's still able to fire. If he'd been able to, would have been able to fire one shot, but that would have been it, right, because it's double action?
2: It is, yep. It would have fired that one shot and then blocked back. But So... You think about your dynamics of what's actually going on now. This kid's going to exit the vehicle with an AK. In between him and his dad is an officer. And then there's, his dad is throwing an officer on the ground. So there's two armed officers this kid's going to attack. The first one he shoots is Bill. Bill's already on the ground. So he fires four rounds into Bill. This kid's gun will malfunction it jams. He's shooting wolf ammo and a Yugoslavian AK-47, 7.62 by 39. The gun jams. He stops
0: and clears this weapon and re-engages. What do you call that? You call that training. I mean, it's somebody has trained how to clear a jammed weapon.
2: Under stress. This 16-year-old kid's under stress, has cleared a, a jammed weapon, and is actively firing on law enforcement. So. Old school training. You go back. Brandon didn't have that training of turning to the gunfire and walking backward while putting lead down range. If he would have had that training and used that tool in that toolbox, this would have been a different shooting because he had a good four seconds or more to engage while this kid cleared his weapons. Most officers can engage, have their weapon out within, you know, 2.5 seconds. Somewhere along there. Some of them are faster.
0: And Mike, let's make a point about it too right now, because it's going to be very important is that you talk about surviving. Bill was wearing a vest. He took at least four of the rounds in his vest, right? Yes,
2: he did. Yeah, he was wearing his vest. Brandon was not wearing a vest. So Brandon takes off running down the passenger side of the van, and that's where he starts receiving rounds into his back from the AK. He takes multiple hits to the legs and back while running around. And he goes past the Tahoe, his Crown Vic, where he kneels down on the driver wheel to engage. Now, this kid's running back and forth in front of the Tahoe, firing, shooting down the side. And he drives him back around the passenger side. And he's trying to shoot through the Tahoe to hit the kid. He's shooting a Glock 2240 cow. Uh, it was not penetrating all the way through the Tahoe. so. The kid runs to the taillight of the Tahoe, and that's where he engages with the AK again. He fires two rounds. So they go through the hood, the inner fender well, the fender, and strike branded in the chest and knock him down. And he advances at that point and executes him. He shoots him three times in the head with an AK.
1: You know, and, and one, of the, one of the tactics when, when you're in a gunfight is shooting and moving, right? You, sh- you don't stay stationary, and that's what that kid's doing.
2: Yeah, the witness... Stated, he circled to obtain a clear shot, and he was running while shooting.
0: So um, and let's, let's not bypass that, too, because there was a witness to this at that time, right? So, Mike, talk about him a little bit. There was this elderly gentleman that happened to be driving up when this all was going on.
2: So this guy, the first witness was a FedEx truck driver, and he pulled up on the traffic stop and didn't feel comfortable going around it. So he just stopped, put it in park. So he's sitting there in stadium seating looking down on the scene. And when this was, when it was all over with, he took investigators back out, and he said, "You know, the kid ran this way, officers ran this way," and had a full—I mean, full report of everything that happened and how it happened, because we didn't have any video of it. Uh, he he says in the nine one one call that at one point in there, he says he's standing here looking at me. So after the kid executes the officer. He turns around and makes eye contact with the driver, and the, you know the FedEx truck driver said, "Man, I, I just knew he was going to shoot me." Oh, well, his, that kid that wasn't his problem. The, the FedEx truck driver was he didn't have a quarrel with him. It was they didn't like police. So he turns around and leaves him. And that's how we you know gained all the information of what actually actually happened on the scene. But they leave, uh, the kid goes back, gets in the van, his dad picks up sovereign citizen paperwork, and they
0: leave. And Mike, that's something important right there. When you go back and you watch this video, that's what he's doing. He's gathering his paper because that, to your point, this for the sovereign citizens, that is very v- important for them. Their paperwork, and even though they know they've got witnesses and stuff, he's collecting his paperwork and putting the throwing papers into the van before he takes off. Yeah, and then
2: the boy, after he throws the papers in, right after he hangs that AK out and fires four more rounds into the bill in the ditch. So Bill was hit a total of eight times with the AK. And shot 13
0: times. Yeah, and three times to the head, right? Right. Uh, and, it, you know, and Mike, just stop here for a second and talk about that because, you know, in all of my years, and I know Murphy and stuff, and, and, you know, Murphy, you've got some stories, too, when you talk about the Sicarios down in Columbia and these kids, you know, these young kids. But it's like, but you think, and man, this is the United States, you know, it's kind of like, where does a 16-year-old uh, you watch that video, and, and I'll tell you what struck me. To your point, Mike, was how calm this kid was. He didn't get excited, like you said. You, you see just the passenger door pop open. You see that AK muzzle coming out, and then he starts to engage. And it's just like this is see, looks like something he has trained for over and over and over again. It's not like, hey, this is my first time.
2: No, he he was highly trained in something else. He did. He was a big time gamer. Uh, and you know i tell people that how, how important is that well that's that's really important the one you listen to dave grossman colonel grossman he talks about how desensitizing about video games uh you know this is that's that's a very common point uh also it teaches you tactics you know gain cover reload move shoot uh hand eye coordination so uh you know i used to I, I used to write down training three hours a day, call of duty training in my log at game and fish, and my administration loved that so
1: it's just like you said you're going to respond the way you train it, you know in law enforcement, if you have a jam, we call it the tap wreck bang thing where you, you right. tap the magazine, make sure it's seen as you wrap a new round in, and then you fire the you, know, you pull the trigger and see if it bangs. Right, And it's so amazing when a to... shit's hitting the fan, it's amazing how that comes back to you when you've got an issue. It really is.
2: Your brain will do crazy things under high stress. And what it's going to do is it's, it's going to do one of two things. You're either going to uh, rise to your level of training or you're going to fall to your level of training. And I think that's very important for people to understand. There's a difference, uh, you know, and it's up to you to make sure you rise to that level and you do the training that gets you to that level and not fall to a level of training. Could you be a statistic at that so, point Mike,
1: uh, you, you said the shooters here the father son team were shooting a 7.62 caliber weapon can you explain to the listeners just how powerful that round is i mean are we talking a 22 caliber round here
2: uh, no you're you're more in the 308 round at that point uh a lot most law enforcement's going to shoot like a 223 which is basically a souped up 22 uh, or three hundred blackout even uh, the seven point six two by thirty nine has so much more gunpowder uh, and a bigger a lot more lead and that's very obvious when you get to the point where you're looking at my truck you can tell the difference in between my rounds and incoming rounds
1: yeah so we're talking a military grade round versus what a hunter would use right
2: oh yeah absolutely yeah they were, and they were shooting. They were shooting wolf ammo that, which is not the greatest ammo, but uh, still a powerful round.
1: Yeah, it's, and these these are ones that'll that'll you can shoot into engine blocks and crack the block. You know, this is what uh, international military groups use. So this is not, uh, you know, these guys if they're going to get in the gun battle, they're out there to win.
2: Oh, they, yeah, we were. I was outgunned. We all were. There was none of us shoot a three hundred eight.
0: Yeah, so let's get back into that because that's, um, you're describing now the, the traffic stop. So you've got this FedEx driver that's able to talk about this. But the one of the, uh, you know, just one of the most heartbreaking things initially about this was who responded. And, and Mike, I, I mean, the sad fact is, is that something a parent never wants to see is their child in a situation like this. And unfortunately, one of these officers, his dad, was the chief of police for West Memphis.
2: Yeah, and you'll see in the video, you'll see uh, Bobby pull up, um, and he immediately starts down the hill where the officers were, were gathered. And as he's going down, he, he hears them saying, you know, Bill, you're going to be okay. You'll be all right. He says, you yeah, I knew that was Bill Evans at that point. He said, all my way down he saw one of the officers laying beside his car and didn't understand why nobody was with him. So he turns and he starts up towards the car. And that's where one of the uh, CID guys tried to stop him. Said uh, chief don't go up here. It's bad. Well, he goes up and you can watch it all on, on the cameras, but you can literally watch the life drain out of that man. And he says, you know, as I stood there and looked down at my oldest son, he said, I didn't know what to do as a father. I didn't even know what to do as a chief at that point. So it's very heartbreaking. That's when uh, Miss Linda, she was in the truck also, and she starts realizing something bad's going on. And she had just had open heart surgery and wound up collapsing they had to rush her back to the hospital. So it was pretty, pretty graphic, chaotic scene.
1: And who was Miss Linda?
0: That would have been uh, Brandon's mother. That's my... So yeah, both Bobby. parents drive up on the scene of their f- son's shooting. I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Man, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I have no words for that. I mean, I don't even know what to say or how to describe that, uh, you know, but at some point the response still has to go on. I mean, at some point you're sitting here going, uh, the chief is obviously going to be mentally affected because it's son, but you know, but Mike, from that standpoint, was there more than one witness to that, or was there just the FedEx truck driver? Because eventually, you uh, you know, more units start rolling in. So was there anybody else that witnessed this at, at that time, or was it just that FedEx driver?
2: And the FedEx driver witnessed the entire thing. So he saw everything, and then other cars start pulling up on the interstate, and they're dialing 911 and trying to describe. So at that point, 911 dispatch is being overwhelmed with calls. You know, of an active shooter and cops down. So that that 911 call is a training in its own. Uh, yeah. It gets pretty bad. Uh, one of the videos you'll see uh, the first officer's getting there. He's talking to the FedEx truck driver and they walk down to where Bill is. And the second officer pulls up and he walks down and then the uh, they all walk away from Bill. Well, Bill was still alive at that point. Uh, he didn't die in the ditch. He died on the way to the hospital. Well, I'm not saying that um, he, if he'd been in the operating room, he'd live. But he had uh, mortal wounds. But I think those guys beat themselves up because they didn't check him at first. You know, uh, they were trying to make secure a scene. Is what they were trying to do, preserve it.
1: Yeah, and that's something you know. In, in this occupation, that's something that never leaves. That never leaves you the rest of your life.
2: You know, and I tell people in training, and you have to have your mind right because your your body won't go where your mind hasn't been. So if you haven't sat and thought, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to, you know, deal with pulling up on my best friend's been shot? Can I stop that bleeding? Can I help him or her or whatever? You know, if you if you haven't won that fight
0: sitting in your chair at night, you're not going to win it when you get in it. So. Mike, where did that mindset come from? Because that's not a mindset a lot of people have, even the ones who you know have been in law enforcement for a while. Um, you know, because it, it, it's interesting. But you talk about your parents ran a funeral home. I mean, you were used to seeing. I, I don't, don't want to say death, but you saw people grieving. You saw things like that. You know, on a regular basis growing up. Where did that mindset come from for you to be able to just you know, like you say, take a look at it? clinically diagnose it and say, well, I, I like what you said. It said your, your body's not going to go where your mind hasn't been. Where did that perspective come from, you know, in your past?
2: I, you know, I believe it, it's a, a multitude of a lot of things. It was growing up in the funeral business. I see death and dying differently than most people. Uh, you know, most people save up their entire lives to retire and then don't get to enjoy it. A lot of them don't. Uh, where I look at it, I'm going to enjoy every day. Um, I'm going to go in that whole broken shit, but I'm going to have a good time getting there. You know, so seeing things different uh, <laughs> helps in that mindset. And then you start throwing in your training, you start throwing in fire department you know we we like to make fun of firemen and we pick back and forth because you know there's only two kinds of people they get paid by laying on their backs and it's firemen and prostitutes
1: So <laughs> um,
0: oh here we go i'm gonna get all these firefighter guys calling. Yeah, i didn't like that you know well they, they they eat till they get sleepy they sleep till they get hungry, get hungry that's right <laughs> they they got it right you know the
2: Nobody wants to see the police, but everybody likes to see the firemen.
0: Yeah, they always but, rescue kittens, yeah. That's right.
2: But, you know, being in the fire service training uh, was some of the best I'd ever had, you know, because they strap a tank on your back and a mask on your face and throw you in a fire, and you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to freak out or you're going to put the fire out, you know. So that was good training, and, you know, that that helps in a mindset also. And I've I've been in some pretty bad places and fires. and. That's called adapting and overcoming. And then you put all the law enforcement training in on top of that. It uh, starts building. It should build your mindset of the warrior mindset as a, I'm going home tonight and don't get in my sandbox because I'll take you out. You've kind of got to
0: have that mental resilience to say, no matter what comes in front of me, I'm going to power through this thing. So, you know, talking about powering through it. So when, the, when that initial, I mean, you're talking to your buddy now on the phone. How long after the shooting? That that was, pro- like you said, around 1150 is when you first found out about it. So about 15 minutes after everything went down, right?
2: Yeah, probably 15, 20 minutes into it is when I started learning.
0: What did you do after that? What was your response after that? First of all, what did you think? Did you know? Did you know the names of the officers yet? No, I had no
2: idea who it was. Uh, we, I just knew there was two officers down, um, and I knew I had to be there because it was close. It was in my post, to my district, uh, the area I work, and. You know, that's where everything started changing at that point because I hung up with him and I called my, my supervisor, my sergeant, and he's he was actually assigned to Crittenden County where that happened. I was covering my bases, didn't really realize it, but looking back now, I really covered them. But I called him and I said, hey, uh, I know what's up. I know what's going on in West Memphis. And, I, you know, I may have told a little bit of a white lie. I told him I was pretty close. I was, I was game warden close. Um, that like, over an hour away i mean that's close for a game morning you know i wasn't in kansas or nothing but
0: yeah well, um, but, but but mike on that point when the shooting went down how far away were you like 60 70 miles you know how far away were you
2: yeah i was over an hour away i was in uh moro arkansas which is a good 75
0: 80 miles from from there probably so even 75 miles 80 miles away you're like I got to get in the I got to get in the fight here so at that point now when I'm making the phone calls
2: I'm on my, I'm on, I'm on my way you know I'm already on the way over there and when the sergeant said yeah get over here quick you know that's where it changed and that's that's where a lot of people had questions cuz I pulled over and I mentally started preparing at that point I jumped out, I grabbed that the old zip-up vest, you know, it didn't have any plates, it just said wildlife officer, on only had pockets, had a, a expired vest in it, you know, I had laying around, I threw that dude on, and I reached up in the rack, and I grabbed my rifle, and I hung it, I slung it, hung it right here on my chest, because as an officer, that is my primary weapon, is my rifle, my pistol is to get me to my rifle, so... I hung my primary rifle right on my chest, and I got back in my truck, and I started driving. And that's, you know, that's where I was getting mentally ready. Uh, I knew what I was getting into. You know, they'd already told me it was an MS-13 uh, with AK-47s, you know, so I knew this was a bad deal. Uh, I was I was married at the time, and I, I called the, the ex, and I told her, I said, uh, hey, had a bad deal in West Memphis, got two cops down, shot with AK-47s, I'm on my way over there. And she's like, all right, have fun. You got your vest on? I was like, yeah, I got it on. I said, but it's not going to stop what they're shooting. She's like, okay, have fun. You know, <laughs> you'll figure out why. Next, but,
1: and she went and immediately pulled your insurance policy to see how much you're worth. Didn't yeah, she? yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Worth more debt than I was alive. Have fun, you know. So. We all are. <laughs> right. Uh, did it have anything to do with her being your ex?
2: Uh, it has a lot to do with it, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's a story. Sorry.
2: What? Yeah, it's a whole big another story, but all the way over, you know, I'm, I'm driving and I'm thinking I'm what if and how am I going to handle this? You know, how are we going to do this? Uh, it's, you know. So,
0: Mike, let, let's put that detail right there. You're driving, first of all, how fast are you driving with a – and tell us the kind of rifle you have slung ready to go.
2: So this is real redneck. Um, I was driving an 05 Chevy. Uh, Silver rod extended cab that I had souped up. I had not told the Game and Fish that we had reprogrammed the truck and it would run about 140. It was pretty fast. Um, so I was running probably 130 ish, you know, all the way over. And I have a Bushmaster 16 inch barrel <laughs> on my chest in between my legs, driving 130, no seatbelt on, you know, real redneck style. You got your lights and sirens on, right? No. No, not at that point. No, I'm just zipping. Now, when I'd go into a town or, you know, I'd come up on traffic, yeah, I'd hit the lights and go. But uh, most of the time, I I don't like to run lights and sirens because people do stupid things. most time you can get around them or buy them before they even know you're, you're there. But, um, so no, I wasn't at that point running any, any lights. So I go flying over there and I get into West Memphis and I didn't ever really fool with the town. You know, we worked the edges. There's no reason for us to be really in the town working. So I didn't know a whole lot about the town of where I was, but I, I remember flying into town and, as soon as I get in town, my, my gas light starts dinging. Ding, 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 ding. Well, you no know, wonder I, at
0: 130 miles an hour in that fuel-efficient Chevy, you had to be passing everything but a gas station at this point.
2: I heard a lot of gas, you know, and I was so mad. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I'm flying over here trying to get into a fight. You know, I had all these things running through my mind of what we needed to do, and I got to get gas. And I was thinking, man, I am not going to get in a pursuit And run out of gas.
0: And be that guy that's sitting on the side of the road. Yeah.
2: And a trooper have to pick me up because both of us can't fit in that car with that hat. I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) But they're
0: impressive hats, please. They're impressive hats. And
1: and what the listeners need to understand here is that's what everybody would always remember about Mike Neal's career is he ran out of gas in a fight.
2: And go into a fight. That's exactly right. Uh, But, you know, all the way over there, I was thinking. Yeah, you get get one side of your brain over here saying, ah, everything's fine. You've been on 100 of these calls. You know, nothing's going to happen. They're gone. And then the other side of your brain's over going, ooh, this ain't good. You know, you better be ready. Uh, So, and I'm a pretty ADD guy. I'm pretty calm this morning, even though I'm drinking Monsters. But most of the time, I'm pretty bouncy, blonde-haired. You know, I got dyslexia. I'm ADD. It's just a little spastic. So especially when adrenaline starts running. But God has a way of, of slapping you and, and putting you in check, and unfortunately, he has to do it a lot to me, but uh, this is one of those moments, I, I go flying into a gas station, and I jump out, and I'm trying to hurry up and gas up my truck, because you know, I'm ready to go, it's time. it's time to go find something. So I'm gassing up my truck and I'm kicking my tires and my rifle swinging back and forth. And I look up and everybody's ducked behind their car, gassing their cars. up. like, what is wrong with the game warden? You know, he's got one of those big, scary guns. What I didn't realize is I had stopped at the Horizon Shell Station at the 275 mile marker in West Memphis. And I show these picture at every one of my trainings and it's of the officer's standing around the Tahoe where Bill and Brandon were killed. They were right behind that gas station, about 200 yards. So that was a a very calming, it was really weird. Uh, Everything just kind of got still. And that's where I realized
0: that you're close.
2: Yeah. I'm in the middle of it now. Didn't even know it.
0: Hey, was your truck marked in any way other than the lights? Did you have decals on the side um, or is it just light bar?
2: no so my truck was a slick top uh extended cab had no lights to the outside on the that uh, it had just running lights you know up in the grill the big kc lights but uh, mine were all internal lights uh it said state wildlife officer on the fenders and then uh, the game and fish emblem on the door um so it was marked so I get back in my truck and I'm I'm looking at this crime scene and you know, that's when the reality starts to hit, man. There's there's two guys, they did the same thing I did that morning. They got up and they kissed their families goodbye and they're not they're not going home. You know. Brandon had young kids, you know, who who's gonna take care of those kids? All this stuff, you know, started running through my mind. I'm like, Oh man, this is this is really bad. And I drove over that interstate, and I looked down at that crime scene, and it just—it made me so mad. I remember the fire inside of me was so strong at that point. I guess I needed that, you know. What were I you mad
0: that? at? At that point, what 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 was making you mad?
2: That somebody killed two officers. You know, there's no reason for that. What well, you might get a ticket, big deal. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: pay your ticket, and go down the road, go fight it in court, win it in court if you want to. But to murder somebody over at that's stupid and it it just made me so mad and i turned come back over the interstate and i turned on the service road and i'm driving and traffic is stopped it's dead still so when this call went out uh one of the officers said get the description of the last vehicle they had stopped out and shut down the interstate so they shut down 55 going into memphis that goes south to jackson mississippi I-40 that's going to Nashville through Memphis, they shut it down. And I-55 that goes north to St. Louis, they shut it down. So they backed up traffic for years. It was horrible, how much traffic. But in doing so, they trapped them. They couldn't get out of the town because it was gridlocked. So as I was driving, I was looking at all this traffic backed up. I had my hand on my rifle, right hand on my rifle, left hand on my steering wheel. I was driving and looking. I'll never what, forget it. What,
1: for? what are you looking for right now?
2: Well, so that's that's very funny you say that. The, at this point, they're putting out that we're looking for a stolen white church van with a house of God in prayer on the side of it. So and nowhere in the description from the original callers or witnesses said anything about the house of God in prayer. Where this gets thrown in is dispatch runs that tag. And it comes back to the house of God in prayer. So dispatch automatically labels it as a church bank with the house of God in prayer on it. So we're looking for the wrong thing already. Uh, at one point in this 90 minutes from shooting one to shooting two, uh, they're in the Walmart parking lot backed in, And the kid goes in, he's in there for 15 minutes shopping inside Walmart. And a deputy drives right by the van, never saw it. Because he's looking for a church van
0: with a house of God and prayer on it. So nobody was actually looking at that van. Hey, Mike, you mentioned something too that the van was backed in. Is that because it didn't have front plates?
2: It had front and back plates. It did? Okay. It's only only two kinds of people back into a parking spot cops and crooks. Cops and criminals. You're exactly right. He backed in so he could see. He wanted to see what was in the parking lot around him. And at one point, he's putting up sunshades inside the van so you couldn't see in, but he could see out. Um, and that's they leave from that scene, and they go behind Walmart, and that's where they're changing clothes and taking the tags off of the van. It's behind Walmart on Avon Street. And a caller calls in about that. She says, there's somebody back here in a, a white minivan. You know, they're taking their tags off. I've never seen this van. And uh, they get spooked, and they leave there, and they go back to Walmart. So when they get back to Walmart, that's where he starts trying to blend in again. He starts putting the sunshades back on the windows. He's trying to trying to hide is what he's trying to do. Um, a caller calls in and describes this man that is pulled in there and put up sunshades and what the guy looks like. And that's when dispatch puts it out. And I used to hear it all the time in my sleep, man. It terrorized me for a long time. But the dispatcher come over the radio, and it was like nothing was being said. It was silent. And then dispatch comes over and says, I need available unit 798 West Service Road, Walmart. Suspects have been spotted in row 12. Guess where I was? Right in front of Walmart on the service road. I had met an unmarked unit, and he pulls in. the west side of the walmart and i go down and i pull in on the east side so it's just the two of us at this point i didn't know this i had no idea so when i pull in on the east side coming to the west um, as soon as i make the turn in the driveway right in front of the doors i had rolled my windows down so i could see and hear the gunfire started so, the van has pulled off road 12 and gone head to head with the sheriff and the chief deputy of Critton County, retired Arkansas State Troopers. And they're immediately shot in the car. Uh, W.A. Wren takes three rounds of AK 47 to the admin. He's not wearing a vest. And the sheriff takes one round of Colt 45 through his right arm, right gun, gun arm. But the sheriff is not armed, he does not have a weapon. Only the chief deputy, and I think he had like a thirty eight special on him.
1: Oh, my gosh. The sheriff wasn't carrying a weapon?
2: It's not carrying. I'm not sure what year the Andy Griffith show quit running, but that's when the sheriff should have started carrying a gun, because I promise you this sheriff, he was unarmed. He winds up, they fall out of the car, and I see all this, they fall out. So in my mind, I see a guy shooting up a car in front of me. They just killed two more officers. Is it's where it put me in my mind. I thought oh, it's it's time to stop the killing. So in the Game of Fish Academy, they taught us that shooting through the windshield, yeah, you know, that was like no big deal. Shoot through the windshield, uh, it'll work. So I knew it would work. Uh, we did it with pistols. I had a rifle, so I knew that was going to work. And in my mind, he didn't know I was there, so I was going to roll up behind him and shoot him through the front windshield. Stop the threat. That was what was going through my mind. You got to stop the killing. Stop the threat at all cost. So as I'm coming, state police estimated with surveillance and damage that I was running at about 55 miles an hour in the parking lot of Walmart, uh, which is a very short distance once you get down there and start really looking at things. He, I guess he hears me coming. He gets back in the van. He starts backing up.
0: Now, Mike. At that point, were you planning on? Is the reason you were going so fast because you were going to come around and get him behind them before they could do anything?
2: I'm coming straight up behind him. Straight up so behind I, him. Okay. Yeah, I've got him sandwiched at this point. He's you know the, the deputy car is in the front. and I'm coming up from behind. Did you call
1: out on the radio?
2: No, I never had time. So I, I would I was going straight straight at him. I didn't turn on lights, sirens, nothing. Uh, so I'm coming at him. He sees me and he gets back in the van, starts backing up. Uh, it wasn't because he was trying to run. I can tell you that. I think he was just trying to get squared up me for me for a fight. So as he's backing up, I thought I'm going to ram you right in the rear. You're not, you're, I'm stopping you. You know, I, I like to ram people. It works. I've rammed a lot of people. Um, so here we go. You know, I'm fixing to ram you. And at the last second he turned that van and I thought, I'm going to hit you and you're going to roll over and blow up, you know, because that's what they do on the movies. <laughs> I was very disappointed. They did not roll over and they did not blow up. Uh, it was immediate. As soon as we hit, uh, I'm going to say my guardian angel took over at that point as I'm pretty good shot, but I don't think I'm that good because the driver turns, we're at seven feet. He's at the end of my hood. My push bumper is touching his seat. And he turns with what I know now as a Taurus judge. I thought it was an RPG when you're looking down the angry eye of it. And that's where I fired my first two rounds from center of the windshield because I'd hit the dash in the windshield on impact. So I was pretty much in the center of the truck from impact. And I fired the first two rounds. And my first two rounds struck him right in the forehead. So I was shooting a two-two-three. I knew at that point that threat was eliminated. That fight was over.
0: Hey, Mike. And I think you got to be clear with people because a lot of people think, well, you're trained to shoot to kill. And it's like, no, you're not, you're not trained to shoot to kill. Just emphasize the point. What were you, tra- you weren't trying to kill. What were you trying to do?
2: I was trying to stop the threat at all costs. Uh, there was active killing at this point going on. Um, you know, this was an active shooter at this point. So it, my training was to eliminate the threat. And that's, that's the only thing I could see. That was the first thing I took a shot at. Uh, I landed those those two rounds. Uh, the passenger, I never saw him. All he does is kind of turn and pivot in his chair, and he starts engaging me with the AK. So I'm, I'm still on mid-center truck passenger side at this point.
0: With no seatbelt on, right? Did you hit the steering wheel pretty hard?
2: I did. I broke the steering wheel when I bounced off of it. Airbags didn't deploy due to the push bumper on the front. If I'd have had my seatbelt on or or the airbag would have got me, I I probably wouldn't have lived through that day. Uh, Because what the kid does next, I mean, he just starts beating me up. Uh, He starts on the driver post of the windshield and starts walking it across the windshield, and he puts 12 rounds through the front of that truck. Where are you at at this point? At this point, I'm laying across the console basically on the passenger side so i'm just taking shrapnel to my hip and my fat roll on my side and in my back back here from the glass and just shit flying through the truck uh the jacket of the bullet caught me in my in my shoulder they pulled it out but i thought i was hit uh, you know i could feel it stinging it was hurting and i, I knew i was shot you know i just i thought well, you got to keep shooting keep shooting shoot faster and i'm shooting and all I can see is the fire off the end of his gun. So I'm engaging that. I know what's on the other end of that. So that's what I'm shooting at. And I never heard his gun. I never heard my gun. I do remember hearing the buffer spring inside that rifle. It's weird, the audio exclusion that your brain does. Uh, but I could hear that buffer spring going, ching, 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 you know, as I was shooting. And I remember he kept shooting. And I, I was thinking, why are you still shooting at me? I know I'm hitting you. You know, stop shooting at me. And that's when the gun goes dry. My the bolt locks back. Well, in our training, they put us in a vehicle, two rounds to the windshield, get out, next guy, two rounds. I never was trained in a heated environment and under extreme pressure to reload, to fix a jam, to do any of that. So I did not have that tool in my toolbox. So in, in the heat of the moment, what did I do? I didn't rise to my level of training. I fell to my level of training, and I could not reload my rifle. So I'm laying on top of it, trying to reload it, getting shot at still, and I wound up closing the bolt on an empty chamber, and I couldn't rack it. I was laying on top of it, laying on top of my service weapon, my pistol. Yeah,
0: where was your where was your other mag? The other thing too, we talked Where was your other magazine at at this point? Because you had it, you had a you had a dub- uh, uh, double ended magazine there
2: did I, I was tactical is what i was i had a mag mounted to the side of another mag but it was a cheap little plastic mount well an impact that breaks and the mag fell off in the floor It actually fell in the seat and i couldn't i couldn't find the mag to get it loaded in so that gun at that point was a paperweight uh it was doing me no good um in the video you'll see i make a tactical decision and i'd love to say i knew where i was going but i didn't give a crap i was being shot at and it hurt and i didn't like it no more i throw it in reverse and i held it to the floor and i did some free landscaping for walmart i didn't even charge them but i cleaned all the bushes out with my truck and then some woman backed out and hit me and that's my story i'll stick to that so
0: i did not hit her so Mike, but at the, at the time when, when you're taking rounds through the windshield, like, say, you're laying down, what what is literally, what is going through your head at this point? What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I, I knew I was going to die. I remember thinking there's only been one other time, and that was when I was a firefighter, that I got into a building it was on fire and couldn't get out. And I remember thinking that time, well, this is this is it. And this was no different. I remember thinking, well, you did it this time. You know, you've gotten into something you can't get out of. But that's when that resilience and that, that mindset hit. That's when I was pinned down, taking fire, trying to reload my rifle, thinking, man, you're not getting out of this one. You know, this is the MS-13 gang. They're going to come out of that van and shoot you through your window, you know, because I didn't know how many was in the van, and that's when I, I was like, hell no, not today. You're not getting me. I threw it in reverse and hauled butt back, and you'll see on the video – I open the door and I I transition to my pistol when I roll out. And the angles of those videos are very deceiving. So it looks like I'm 10 10 feet from that police car that you watch from the video when I get out. My hat falls out too, but that's only about four foot. It's very tight. That angle is very deceiving. So when I come out, that officer that's standing there on that passenger side cranks him. A round of slug shotgun by my head and you see me duck the reason I was ducking is I thought he shot me in the face I mean I felt it when he fired that round I thought oh my god you about shot me and I duck and I go around the back of my truck and that's where I'm down on my knees trying to figure out where I'm hit so I took a piece of glass through my left eye so, my eyeball on my left eye was bleeding. I'd cut the center of my forehead on my laptop desk. So, I had blood running in my eyes from it. I had glass in my mouth. I guess I had my mouth open. I may have been using the warrior scream or something, but there was glass in my mouth. My hands were cut to pieces, they were shredded. And I was laying down there trying to figure out what in the hell I was hurting on my back. Man, I've been shot. You know, I got to figure out where the bleeding's at. I could, I could see I was bleeding. And one of the deputies, they call him John Orman, so he's about six seven, three 350-pound dude. And he comes up and snatches me off the ground. Now, I ain't no little guy. He's got me picked up screaming at me, are you okay? Are you okay? Well, I just fired 30 rounds of two two three in the cab of that truck. I couldn't hear anything. Oh, my head was just, Tee-hee. you know, I was like, oh, my God. I said, I'm fine. Put me down, you know. And he, I said, I think I'm hit. And he rips my vest open. He said, you're fine. It's just a flesh wound. Let's go. And he grabs me and starts dragging me. I was like, hell no, I ain't going back up there. I done been shot. At. I'm done with that, you know. And he's like, no, come on. We got to go. We got to go. And as I ran by my truck, I reached in and I grabbed my rifle and a spare mag and I reloaded the rifle, and we advanced on the vehicle where we, we made the scene safe and drugged both of them
0: out. It was uh, very, very chaotic. From, from beginning to end, just for the shootout, the time you are engaged, when, I, when you first told me this, I said, no way, it's got to be longer than that. But how long did this encounter last?
2: 17 seconds. That's going to be the name of my book is 17 Seconds in Hell so you would have thought it was five minutes i thought it went forever uh but we timed it it 17 seconds from the time i engaged to the time i backed up i fired 30 rounds of 223 and took 12 rounds of AK at seven to eight feet from one another
1: was your weapon full auto or semi-auto semi-auto so you got to pull the trigger for each round to go off
2: which one yeah uh later i found out I, i'd hit the uh, sec, the 16 year old 22 times it was all in the abdomen and i was shooting green tip uh steel core penetrator rounds. so what was going on is that that thing was going through the seat through his abdomen through the door and hitting a concrete post on the other side those steel core penetrators were just zipping through like needles and in a gun battle, you're looking for three things. You're looking for electricity, plumbing, or structure. So if you knock out the electricity, the fight's over immediately. If you can't hit electricity, you're going for plumbing. And then you start knocking out structure. Uh, I never saw him. I couldn't see him, so I was shooting for whatever I could hit, which wound up being plumbing. And he had to bleed out, which that takes, depending on what you hit, a minute and a half or more. Uh, so he continued to fight, and I'm going to tell you, that's where those dreams, you know, you're laying there in bed, and you're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting, you're not getting anywhere, you're shooting, you're shooting, you're shooting, and it's not working. That's where those dreams come from. That's what makes those dreams, because I knew I was hitting him, and I, I, I remember thinking, why are you still shooting at me? I know I'm hitting you, you know. Uh, so that, that bothered me for a long time.
0: Well, and in the videos, too, that, you, that folks, this is all on YouTube. You, you can go look for Michael Neal, and these videos will pop up. But I'll tell you, the most intense 17 seconds I saw was that you hit them, and then I see, I can see the smoke. You can see, you know, the, the muzzle flash, You can see the smoke coming out of the rifles in terms of you talk about being so close. You know, and it, it just you know, and you think about all the things you train for, but nobody really ever trains for anything like that. And you just, I mean, you, you basically hang on, um, you know, with both hands and you go, but I think your mindset, like you said, you may have fell, fell to the level of your training, but I think what got you through this too, was your mindset of, like you said, I want to get in this fight. I'm going to survive this fight. How much, how much did your mindset affect your ability to make the decisions when you look shit was hitting the fan?
2: So, you know, I I went to a therapist for a long time after that, and my therapist made a great point. He said, you know, he said, you're so ADD and so spastic. He said, that's how you survived your shooting. He said, because your mind was firing so fast that your thought process was so much faster than normal that allowed you to move to the next step, next step, next step, you know, to advance and overcome that problem at that point. So the, the mindset is huge in any kind of situation of, of battle or, or whatever. You know, you got to have your mind right. And you
0: talked about the dreams, too. I, t- I talked to Murph about it. He didn't have the same one, but, you know, one of the recurring ones for me, and I know it was from some other guys, is that you'd have a deadly situation in front of you. You'd go to pull out your weapon, and your trigger wouldn't pull, no matter how hard you pull. You couldn't get that, you know, weapon to fire. And that was, that was the ultimate fear, too, at least for me it was. It was like you pull that thing out, you go to pull the trigger, and nothing works. You know, it's just you can't even will it in your mind to make that trigger come back to get the bang. And, you know, unless you've right. been through that kind of stuff, you know, unless people realize how vivid those dreams are, it's like you wake up in a cold sweat.
2: Oh Well, I tell people, you know, the worst fight you'll ever be in in your life is uh, at night after you turn off that light switch. And that's that's fighting with that brain, you know, dealing dealing with your demons. Uh, But in, in reference to that, the gun and the shooting in your dreams not working. Dave Grossman, Colonel Grossman was a good friend of mine. He 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 helped me a lot with that. He was like, son, he said, you have that dream. You go the next day to the range and shoot steel. That way you hear your gun go off and you hear that round hit that steel. He said, that'll be a mental reset for you. And it works. You know, it, it stopped a lot of that. You know, it reset that brain to know, hey, this thing is going to work. It is going to go bang, you know, and do what I need. I it got to some do.
0: squirrels in my yard that look like they're made out of steel. I may have to try that on. Right. Yeah. But, Mike, but I think what's so important is that, uh, I mean, this thing, like I said, even though it was 17 seconds, this, this whole situation obviously goes on for a while, but um, eventually both of them are pulled out. Both declared dead at the scene, I think, at around one forty five. So we're talking from 11.35 that morning until about one forty five In a span of two hours, two officers are shot and killed. An additional two officers are shot. And you're in, a you know, obviously an, an epic gun battle. Even though we constrained that within that two hours, there was a lot of stuff that happened afterwards. You and I were talking about what. What were some of the things that happened a, as a result of this shootout and this investigation? And, and I don't. Even, we haven't even mentioned the names. I'm not even going to mention the names of these two POSs because they, they deserve zero airtime. But but the That's sovereign exactly. citizen movement. You're right. Is is a threat? What came out of this in, in, in relation to the investigation based on this shootout?
2: So, and I'll have to talk a little bit above my pay grade here because I was an investigator at the time and I did investigations on uh, drive-bys. I was a drive-by investigator and and they were drive-bys on deer, duck, and turkey. So that was somebody shooting from the road. That's what I investigated. But uh, the state police took lead on that with the FBI and they traced them all the way to Arizona where they had done extensive firearms training uh, in a resort there. Uh, which led to arrest there at that training facility and and span all the way across the U.S. Uh, so it was it was a big investigation, and, and, you know, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge at that point because I, I wasn't part of that, and I let them speak on that point. But
0: that's where the 16-year-old appears to have gotten a lot of the training, right?
2: It was, yes, out in Arizona.
0: And look, let's just be very candid. It's a shame to have to shoot anybody. It's a shame to have to shoot and kill anybody, especially when they're 16 years old. But age and everything else goes out the window because they made the decision to point that weapon at the officers. They made the decision to shoot the sheriff and chief deputy. They made the decision to square up with you and start pointing and And shooting rounds at you. So I know we're going to get some people that say, "Oh, he was 16 years old." No, he wasn't. He was a stone cold killer, regardless of age. And that's what you got to look at
2: him. He did. Yeah, he was very vicious. Uh, At the time of the shooting, I had no idea who I was shooting at. I had no clue who anybody was. So you know, it was a lot of my surprise when we extracted him from the vehicle that he was a kid. And you know that led to problems down the road for me. Is you know, knowing that I had to engage a kid and stop the threat—that's uh, that's hard. I'm a, yeah, yeah. I got three kids, so yeah, that's uh, that's tough to deal with. You know, you know, you sign up for this job and you know this is a uh, this is something that could happen to you, and you prepare and you train for it. But when it actually happens, they don't tell you how to deal with it. You know, that's where our academies are failing. They train us how to do the job and you know what could happen to you, but they don't train you what happens afterwards and the things that you will go through. Um, And I'm going to tell you, it was rough. And even, you know, I've been in five shootings and I've, I've had to kill three people in my, my career, but it's still rough. It's not something, it's not like Hollywood, you know, they, they glorify it and it's not glorifying at all. You know, it, it, it eats at you. No,
0: it isn't. Yeah. You know, and my story isn't the same, but you talk about the academies fill you and they don't train you. I thought we got really good training, you know, as a state trooper, but you know what they never trained me for was to knock on that door at two o'clock in the morning and deliver the worst news anybody was ever going to get in their life, you know? And then, then, you know, I worked a a father and daughter killed in an accident and I had to be, and I had a daughter and I had to be the one to go give, you know, the news and stuff. So you're right. I mean, they don't realize the effect. Well, let, let me kind of fast forward from that to, to a little bit too, Michael, because you got a lot of awards and I, and I'm proud to say that I got to be a part of one of the awards But we'll talk about the awards in a second. But I want to talk to you. You and I met up, like I said, when Chicago, I knew something was wrong. I wasn't sure what, but I called you up, said, let's go have a drink. And you and I are sitting in the bar down there. And you were telling me on the pre-call, and I didn't realize how bad, but you were in a bad place. What was going on? Why were you in such a bad place at that time? You were getting all the awards. You were getting the recognition. Um, and, you know, people, when you're a cop's cop, you n- you never buy a drink again in your life. And, you know, you're one of those guys. What was affecting you so bad that you were in a really bad place?
2: So, I, you know, it, it it was all overwhelming, uh, honestly. You know, I thought I was gonna to go to jail. I thought I was gonna get fired. So you you know, you're going through all of that. Um, and then you start getting these awards, which, you know, the first one or two, oh that's that's cool, man. That's I appreciate that. Uh that's not what I signed up for. I didn't I did I I I never dreamed I'd get an award for shooting two people in Walmart parking lot. That and then it started bothering me. They started coming and coming and coming. I had 42 awards out of this thing, and it got to the point I told people, no, I don't want it. Just stop. You know, this is not what I—I didn't do this for that. Uh, Here you have two officers that—they didn't go home. You know, what'd they get? They got a flag and a casket. And you know, I got lucky, you know. And you're, you're giving me all this stuff, and it it got to. And there's a, there's a name for it now, survivors guilt or yeah. something like that. Um And that that eat me up for a long time. And then, you know, it started building a lot of PTSD. I didn't realize it. Um, I thought I was good. You know, I was tough. You know, we grow men don't cry kind of thing. And <laughs>
1: We're here with it, you, brother. it
2: does, yeah. Because
1: it we're freaking human.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, and it, you start thinking about, you know, you, you had to kill a kid, and you're getting awards for killing a kid, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It really eat me up for a long time, and you know, I had to come to terms as I didn't kill that kid; his daddy did. You know, his daddy's homeschooling him. He's the one who's training him to do the horrible things and brainwashed him into that point. And you know, it, that took some time to to get by. But yeah, the awards were were overwhelming.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, because I got to tell you, it was an honor too to set up on stage. And I know, you know, like you said, you you started getting a lot of them after that. But when we got to award you the International Police Officer of the Year, we had the uh, DHS Secretary Janet Napolitano there. We had the President of IACP. I mean, you you look at the thing was you were in front of a lot of peers, and there's a lot of people out there going. There's some people going. I don't know how you. I don't. Know, I don't know how you made it through it alive. You know, like you said, God was watching out no, for you. Neither. You know,
2: <laughs> guardian angel.
0: Yeah, guardian angel. But you know, but the, one of the things you've done, I think, is so important. Out of this, though, Mike, is that you've taken your training, and and uh, we're, we're going to talk about what you're doing right now. But uh, you've taken your training and you've applied those lessons because I, I can. You folks can't see it. We, we see each other on video because of the platform we're using. But uh, the the emotions are genuine. You know, Steve. You remember when we were talking to Dave Riker, Green River Killer. Same thing. Same thing he did with you, like Mike, you still see the raw emotions years later. I mean, this was 10, 11, almost 11 years ago, and you're still tearing up and it's still it's still getting to you 11 years later. Uh, It'll never go away.
2: I mean, it'll always be a part of your life. You know, that was that one of those dashes in your life that, you know, you went from the normal to a new normal. You know, you'll never go back to that other normal. Now you have to deal with this, this normal. And, you know, every, you have so many of those dashes throughout your life that change you. And luckily, they've changed me and helped me. You know, some people it goes the wrong way for, and they they start getting into, you know, drinking or drugs and suicides, you know, suicide's the leading killer of cops today.
0: I've lost more friends to suicide than I have line of duty deaths.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah, it's very important, and, and that's that mindset. You know, that's where you got to keep your mind healthy. You got to uh, figure out something you like to do and go do it. And, you know, I'm I'm a hot rod guy, so I like to work in the shop. You give me a couple hours in the shop, I'm a different person.
0: So Well I have to yeah, I have you come out here and work on my two thousand Camaro Super Sport. I need to change some settings on that oh, mass airflow yeah. sensor to make it run.
2: We can uh, yeah, we can do something with that.
0: Okay. Well, LS well And there. it's got the it's got three and a half inch cat back exhaust, not that two inch weenie exhaust that came out on it. It's got three oh, and, and a half inch cat back exhaust, six speed, you know, transmission. Oh yeah. I can show you how to drive that. No, fact. no, 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 no. I'll drive it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen how you drive, asshole. Driver. You're going to yeah, hit something with gonna my gonna Camaro. Drive. That's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to ram something. Yeah. yeah I'll ram the shit out of somebody no, like no. It. <laughs> okay. well, hey, Just final serious note before we talk about this stuff, but how are your nights now? When is the, How long did it take before you had a good night?
2: No, I don't know. Years. I, I still don't sleep that great um i still wake up doing crazy things in my sleep um you know thinking somebody's shooting at me or somebody's in the house or somebody's touching me you know if i could sleep in a vault at night i think i would you know because i think i'd sleep better because i always feel like i'm on guard something's going to come in you know and we were under a threat a lot of people didn't know that uh fbi was giving us briefings you know that um you've pissed off this group and they're going to come kill you and your family you know so there that you had that hanging over your head and i was waiting i was ready you know and i'm not sure that i didn't have an encounter one time i was mowing my yard and i lived way out in the country there was a gravel road in front of my house and uh i I don't go anywhere without a gun i even mow my yard with a gun but I was mowing, and uh, this car from Colorado comes down. It goes down that gravel road. I'm looking at it. I thought, what are you doing here? You know, and then it turns around, and it comes back up the stop sign. As I'm mowing, and I just stopped the lawnmower, and there's a male driver, and we sat there and looked at each other for a second, and I pulled my pistol out laid it on my lap, and he drove off. Never saw him again. And I wonder if that wasn't a test run, you know, if they ever— they were checking me out, you know, is he an easy target or not? I laid that pistol up there, and I guess they figured it out. I wouldn't play it, you know.
1: How long ago was that?
2: Oh, that was right after the shooting. That was probably two months after the shooting, 2010, so late summer. You're always on guard. You're always ready. You know, I've like I said, I've been in five. I'm looking for six and seven because, you know, I know it's coming, and I'm ready for it. Uh, that's a mindset you got to have. You know, if you got that mindset, it's not going to happen to me. That shit don't happen around here. You're, you're, you're screwed,
0: you know. You're, you're fooling yourself. Well, you're that's exactly the whole right. thing about a routine call, a routine stop. There, there's nothing routine no, there's about no a, doing any yeah. of
2: that. I tell people all the time in training, look, you know, your football teams, high school football teams, they watch film on their opponent all week. And they run their plays. They watch their plays. They you know, know, know how to counter their plays. Because Friday night, 7 o'clock, they're going against their team, the, the other team. Or Saturday for college or whatever, Sunday for NFL. Your MMA fighters, they watch film for months, six months at a time, and they train for that opponent six months at a time, you know, studying them. So they know Saturday night at 9 o'clock on UFC, they're going to fight, you know. As officers, you don't have that luxury. You don't know when your number's going to be picked. And if you're not ready for that number to be pulled, you're going to be another statistic. You know, it's not a matter of if, it's when is it going to happen to you? You know, if you're not ready, you're in trouble. You've lost a fight already.
0: And we know from watching some of the films from the criminal intel units inside prisons and stuff they watch prisoners working all the time on getting uh getting searched and how to respond you know how to uh counter being searched and how to disarm you know uh disarm officers and stuff so like you say they don't know when the stops can happen but they're training for you that? Like, but when you're an officer you're out there it's like the 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 men and women doing it today the brothers and sisters I don't know how they do it when you think about what's going on in Portland Seattle Minneapolis all these other places it's like you didn't sign up for it you know, and again, people are going to talk about the social issues, but the point about it is, how would you like to live your life knowing every minute you got to be on, your adrenaline's flowing, you got to be on, almost feels like code red, you know, and you're watching everything all the time. You can mentally, you can only do that for so long before either you break down, your mind breaks down, your body breaks down, and then when those things happen, it either leads to you get out of the work or you kill yourself.
2: Right. Yeah, and there's so many of them getting out, you know. Um... I was in Portland the other day and they had a couple officers there at the hotel and I startled one of them on accident. I was just, you know, just trying to talk to him and he come out pretty brisk, you know, and I, I understand. Yeah. I know why he did it. The environment he's in and I apologized to him. I was like, "Look, man, I'm sorry. I said, I know you're on, you're on code red here, but, uh, I just wanted to talk to you. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I got, you got to learn a lot how they feel and what they're dealing with out there. So, hats off to them.
0: Let's talk about you now. So like I said, we were getting onto this, that you've, you've now taken and applied your training. Um, uh, you know, you, you became sheriff of Monroe County, but you and I, I, that's interesting, but I'd rather talk about what you're doing right now with, uh, NF training. I mean, because you've really, and it's not just the training, it's some of the people you have working with you on the training. Let people know who some of these folks are that are working with you. And cause th- this brings a whole level of credibility when you go out and you train and you say, these are the guys and you're going, wow.
2: So my company's name is NNF Training Solutions, and we have a website.
0: Um, it's nftraining.org. And that's like November Foxtrot, nftraining.org. Yeah, you translate for me, yeah. Hey, oh, I had to do um, that. You're from Arkansas, so I had to <laughs> articulate. I had to articulate
2: for you. Uh, no, that's fine. But you, you go on our website, and you can uh read the bios of of who we are and you know what we've done and that way you know uh we're legit and of course we've already talked about me and and what i've done but i have a great team and we have a conference actually coming up in july it's an active shooter conference in that conference we have raul revis uh is on our team he is uh one of the swat members that got into the shooting at pulse nightclub and killed, uh, I believe his name was Omar Esteen or that had gone in and killed like 53 people. And, and that, uh, Brian Murphy, he was a skeet temple shooting in Milwaukee, uh, where the gunman went into the temple and started killing people. And when he pulled up the, uh, the shooter saw him, it distracted the shooter from killing any more people come out, shot Brian like 13 times. Um, He's on our team. He'll be at this conference. Um, we'll also have the Aurora Theater um, shooting in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, that commander, Jed Langan, I'm, I'm slaughtering his name, but he's, uh, he's going to be at the conference to speak on the Aurora shooting. Um, we also have the Dallas shooting. We're going to cover it. That was the um, one in
0: Garland, PD. Or the Dallas... Dow- which uh, shooting?
2: Dallas PD. The Dallas PD? Dallas PD. Okay. Where they were ambushed oh, the flies, there in, the, right. in the streets. Yeah. Uh, San Bernardino, uh, where the The terrorist the and terrorists killed Q-
0: 13 people. Yep.
2: Yeah, with a bomb and all that stuff. Uh, Nick Kahua. Nick was uh, the guy that actually shot the male in the shooting, and the male shot him in the hip. Uh, they had a gun battle back and forth there in the street in that black SUV. Uh, He'll be there to speak on that. Um, We have uh, the Columbine shooting. We're going to cover it. Uh, And we also have Parkland, uh, Florida, the school shooting. So we've got a a really good lineup of speakers. Uh, Anybody's interested, they can go on our website there and sign up for that. It's going to be held in Farmington, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis.
0: So it's easy to fly into St. Louis and then uh, drive there. So,
2: yep, it's really good. We we specialize in. So I've been in five shootings all in and around a vehicle. So I do a lot of vehicle ambush training. Um, you know, after you live through five of them and wind up killing three people in and around a vehicle, that kind of makes you an expert, I guess. Uh, I know how to I know how to fight in a car. So. That's my specialty. We also do SWAT training. Um, I have SWAT guys that come in and help us with that. I'm not a SWAT guy. Wish I was. Uh, We do a lot of debriefs and mental preparedness. Um, Mine is. uh, We just went through a lot of mine, but I have a lot of more mental preparedness in my debrief that I do. My partner, Jason Fitzwater, he was a SWAT guy down in Florida, uh, investigator. Uh, He was going to commit suicide, so he talks about the suicide side of, you know, uh, PTSD. And then Raul, he does his debrief for us. And he, he talks about his, you know, struggles through life after, um, uh, engaging people. But, uh, so it's a, it's great training, man. We, uh, we teach you, you know, how to reload under extreme pressure in a vehicle. Uh, we, we, it, we get you as close as we can to a gunfight with actually, without shooting at you with real bullets. I mean, we, we stress you to the point that you'll either lock up or you'll uh, you'll fight through it.
0: And if you see anybody with one of those tactical clips where they're dual mag holders, what's your response when you see somebody like that? <laughs>
2: Golly, get a metal one if you're going to do it, because a plastic <laughs> one's going to break, and then train with it. So I'd never train with it. It looked cool oh my god! but cool, if you don't yeah. train with it, it it will not work for you. Yeah, I, 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 I you. learned that
0: lesson one time. A um, so, uh, company was transporting prisoners. That was when I was a trooper, and uh, they landed at the airport, and this kid— so what did they do with the leg irons? They put it around the kid out the out around the outside of the boots he was wearing. All they did was slide it up, slide the boots off, the ankle irons, leg irons came off, and now he's running. So I'm thinking, hey, I'll go out and help you guys. They actually got down into the uh some of the drain, storm drains. So I'm thinking, I'll be cool. I get my tactical shotgun, because I have a Remington 870, but I put a magazine extender on there, and I have a sleeve on it with five extra shots. I'm going, I'm loaded for bear. You know what it's like to walk through a frickin' storm drain bent over, carrying a Remington 870 with all that extra weight? Pretty soon it wasn't tactical. <laughs> it was tactical yeah. <laughs> stupid. Tactical hurt is what that is. Oh, man, the back hurt for a long time. But we, but we ended up did find uh, finally catch the people in uh, quite a time. Hey, but but look, but beyond that, Mike, though, is that look, um, you know, part of this too is is about the surviving Murph. You, you talked about this before too. You know, down in Columbia, I mean, how many officers? You know, the ones that you worked. There, how many? How many funerals? How many did you lose down there in Columbia?
1: It was countless. There were a thousand police officers, a little bit more than a thousand police officers killed in the Escobar investigation. Uh. Um, the funerals, I mean, we went to one funeral, had eight bodies of guys we worked with on a daily basis. It's things that, yeah, uh, I, you know, I get emotional at funerals, even when I don't know the cops. The first cop funeral I ever went to was in Charleston, West Virginia. And, and I'm standing there with tears running down my cheeks. And of course, the media, you know, they want to capitalize on that shit. Uh, you know, so it's and I never met the people. It was so damn hot. <laughs> the polish on my shoes melted. Melted. Yeah, I've been there. I was on <laughs> a guard and did
2: that for yeah, us. Yeah, it
1: was. Uh, you know, you got to laugh about things like this because it will mentally. And I have to be careful talking about it now because I'll get emotional talking to you about this. And I and it wasn't even me, you know. But these are guys that you're working with every day and. Yeah, you know, thank the good Lord, my turn has not come up yet. Uh, thank God for keeping you safe, Mike, and and giving you the ability to fight through this, so that you can train other uh, warriors on how to survive these encounters, because they're coming, and it's just getting worse and worse in our country.
2: I'll tell you a funny story to lighten it up. But so I got the uh, Congressional Medal of Valor. Uh, President Obama was was not present that day, so we had Sleepy Joe. He was there. <laughs> so I get to meet Sleepy Joe and I'm I'm sitting there waiting on my turn to be called and they go through the whole thing and they, they call me up and as I'm walking and you gotta remember man I'm blonde hair, ADD, you know. I was thinking, oh man, it'd be really cool if I give the vice president a coin. So I have a challenge coin in my pocket and I'm digging in my pocket. Trying to get my challenge coin out, and I'm full on a guard class A, like the best uniform game and fish has. I'm all decked out. And I'm digging in my pocket. And when I look up, all the Secret Service are like, "We're fixing to shoot you in the face." You know what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit! It's, it's just a coin." You know, I stick my coin. up. just a coin. Don't shoot. You know. So I get up on the stage, and you know, I hand him the coin. We high five, do all that good stuff. You know, and talk for a second. And I see him lean over to the table where the medals were, and I thought, "Oh, here we go." So, I feel him come up behind me, and I don't know if he was sniffing my ear or what he was trying to do, but uh, I, I thought, I'm going to go into parade rest. I'm I supposed to be in parade rest, so I go into parade rest real fast. Well, I didn't realize, as he was sniffing my ear, putting my metal around my neck, he was leaned over me. So, when I went to parade rest, I hit him right in the junk. I mean,
0: he said,
2: you know, right, right over And I was like, oh my God, I just nut-checked the vice president
0: on, on camera here, you know. I was oh like, my oh God. God. And my neighbor so, two <laughs> doors up is on the VP protect, presidential protective detail for Secret Service. This episode well, is not going there. out until he moves. Sorry.
2: <laughs> so, I go to walk off the stage, I'm embarrassed, you know. It's like, oh God, what have I done? And I get down to the, the last step was a Secret Service agent. I ain't going to describe nothing about him because I ain't getting him in trouble. But he was sitting down there and he was shaking his head like, yeah. And I thought, you want to hit
0: him in the balls too, don't you? Uh, (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, this is... That's my Biden story. Well, you know, all I can think of, all I can think of is oh. you and fucking Forrest Gump. I got shot right here, oh, God, three miles, and right. you bend over and you drop trowel right in front of the president. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, that's, that's, Way to go! That's for new nickname, Forrest. Forrest yeah. Neal. Forrest. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, you know, leave it to me.
1: It's funny you said that morning because my neighbor right across the streets saw the protection of the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, have, you have to tell him
0: that story. Don't go back and watch a video. Oh, my God. Uh, hey, well, there there is video. There's a couple of pictures of it. I'm going to have to go back and find the video now. Oh, yeah, my God. You see it? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, the funny part is, I'm sorry, you're, a, you're in a, uh, an elected sheriff in Monroe County. What party are you in down there? <laughs> neutral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a neutral party. <laughs> oh, that's one of the best stories I've heard. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, this, this whole interview is worth just hearing just that, that yeah, You go to a story and after you hear that, you go, what about you? And you go, I got nothing. I'm sorry. I got yeah. nothing. Can, I got nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, not hilarious. Hilarious. everybody's nut jacked the vice president, but this guy is. Oh, You're the first I've ever met. And that <laughs> didn't end up getting an IRS lotted and handcuffs out of it. Yes.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, <laughs> got a lot of probing going on after
2: that,
0: but you know, dude, <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm telling you, hey, before we go, to that last serious piece, I do want to just make sure we we note the two officers, and I have their information here that were killed in the line of duty. It was Sergeant Robert Brandon Potter. His into watch was May twentieth, twenty ten, West Memphis, Arkansas Police Department. His father was the chief of police. You were talking about Bob. He was age thirty nine. His tour of duty was seven years. Badge number two two four. Like you said, he was shot fourteen times, three times to the head. Officer Thomas William Evans into watch May twentieth, twenty ten, age thirty eight. His tour of duty was nine years. Badge number two thirty six. He was shot eight times, even through the vest that it just shredded that vest. Um, you know, and he died. So we just want to make sure we just leave, that we recognize the heroism of the two officers that gave their life, uh, you know, in this. And, And Michael, I got to tell you, I can't say that I understand it, you know, when you say I've got Survivor's go, because I haven't been through what you've been through like that, but I will tell you, dude, you got nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, and me and Murph, you never buy another drink in your life. You show up with us. <laughs> I just got to get through the accent stuff. You, too, with your damn accents, I don't want to have somebody thinking, it's a fucking reunion of the Beverly Hillbillies, and I'm somehow complicit oh, it in this. I guarantee you. <laughs> He's
1: just jealous. He wants to be yeah. one of us, and he, he can't live up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Come stay down there
0: with us for a little bit. You get uh, it. By, uh, by the way, too, though, Couple things, so asshole. You never, you, you came out here to DC because your truck is now part of the National Law Enforcement Officers Museum. They they basically refurbed your truck. But he comes out here and I say, hey, give me a call. He comes out here and he leaves and he doesn't call me. And I'm going, asshole. You didn't call me. I'm I'm 30 minutes away. Fine, I get it. I get it. I was it, man. trying You're- to
2: get out of the. See, so that was right when COVID hit and we were trying to bounce out of there. Y'all were a hot spot and. We didn't want the COVID, so we didn't stay there. Uh, nice excuse.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, uh, hey, Mike, he doesn't pick up on clues very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a little slow, yeah. oh, That's <laughs> Rich coming from slow. an Arkansas farm boy in a Tennessee hillbilly. Fine, yeah. Okay. Right. I'm a redneck hillbilly. Redneck, hillbilly. Right. get that right. 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 All right, well, Mike, i got to tell you, let's bring this to a wrap, but, I mean, what an honor to get your story out. I know, you, and the thing I wanted, the reason Murph and I wanted to do this and dive into detail, uh, I've listened to your story, Jay Dobbins. I know he talked to you. You've talked to a lot of yeah, other folks. I like Jay. He's a good dude. Yeah. But, but you know, this was about getting into the detail. And, you know, the thing is, when we did the pre-call, too, just so folks know, Murphy even you're talking about, you, you got so amped up, you had to get up and walk around. This is one of these stories that if, it would be hard to put into a movie because it's hard to tell a two-hour story about 17 seconds of sheer terror. But the way you handled it and what you did, I mean, I just, you know, you, people can't see this Is this me saluting you. And, you know, for what you've done for the profession and the training you've given, um, uh, we salute you and we thank you and appreciate everything that you've done.
2: So for the movie producers out there, let's, I mean, let me just throw it out. What, they, should, they should definitely make this a movie, but I
1: want The Rock
2: to play me.
0: <laughs> that ain't happening, dude. That ain't happening. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't
2: want The Rock to play I, me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm to
1: Joe Pesci, or the or the guy that plays
0: Pee-wee Herman, might be able to. going Wilkins. What's his name? Yeah. pee Playhouse. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey,
1: oh I went through the same thing, Mike. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. who's going to play you? Joe Pesci? You, you, you. Yeah, thanks, guys. I it. appreciate that. Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been, it's, you know, I'll joke in sound Mike. It's been an honor to get to know you, I have you on the show.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. I know that. you don't yeah. like
1: the, the titles that go along with it, but you are a true American hero. And the fact that you're continuing on, you're fighting, you continue to fight your demons on a daily basis, but yet you're still getting out there working with the new guys or the guys on the job so that they can learn from your experience and hopefully survive their gun battles when they're coming, because they're coming, right? So God bless you for everything you've done, brother. You're one of us. You always will be.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's hard to get out and do this training and and relive it every time. And it's a a love, hate, more of a hate. (laughs) I hate doing it. Uh, But, you know, it it helps people. And as long as people want to hear it and it helps somebody, I'll do it.
1: You know, I read an article when we were doing our research here where uh, Brandon's father was the chief of police that had to go see his son dead on the side of the road there and he goes out he feels that's his contribution now to mm-hmm. go out and describe what that's like to law right. enforcement to try to prepare him for this mindset because man we don't grow up as bad guys you know I I grew up in a middle class neighborhood you know white, not white collar we were blue collar but but still, you know, I didn't know about crime. I thought I was a tough guy, and I was just a little wimpy kid, you know, spoiled little kid running around. So it's not like you're getting people that have been there and done that to that pick up the, the uh, the sword here to carry on the good work that's being done by law enforcement around the the country. So, I, can you imagine what he's going through, having to relive that? I mean, it's the article I read says he has to take a break sometimes when he's talking about his finding his son.
2: I've had, to, I've done it. I've, I've done my presentation in front of him and Miss Linda both, and I'm gonna tell you that was extremely hard. That's hard to go through and describe everything that's going on. And and Bobby does it too. I think he's fully retired now. I don't think he does it anymore. Uh, he retired as a chief again. They talked him into being a chief in Missouri, and he's he said he's hung it all up now. So just yeah, enjoy life. A break. Right. Yeah, he does.
0: Right. Great guy. Well, folks, make sure you go to NF, like November Foxtrot, nftraining.org, especially if you're law enforcement out there, and if you're not, if your company sponsor Mike and his gang, so that the next generation of law enforcement officers are well-trained, highly trained, and be selfish, folks. You want highly trained officers in your community, deputies, state troopers, conservation officers. You want these folks highly trained, because you want to prevent these bad things from happening. So, hey, Mike, you stay safe, keep up the training, um, and you get to D.C. and you don't look me up, I'm going to ram your car. <laughs> I'm going to find you. I'm going to ram your car.
1: <laughs> big, bring a big one. <laughs> I live about a mile from him, Mike, so you'll get both of
2: us. Yeah. Now we're, we're coming back. We, we, I, have a, I have some stuff coming up in D.C. this summer, so right, we'll be you back. You get out there.
0: here, and we'll tip a beer, and we'll talk stories. Absolutely. I'd love it. Well, hey, folks, like we said, this this one, um, you know, th- there was some levity inside of it, but this is about as serious as it can get. And uh, we will post the uh, – I have some video of this showing some of the things that happened. We will post this on the webpage if you go to com. This is the kind of stuff, uh, it, It's it will get your adrenaline going more than any ride you can take. You know, at an amusement park, and it's not funny by any means, but it just tells it just tells you the kind of people out there who are willing to lay their life on the line, knowing that they've already shot and killed two cops, another sheriff's deputy got wounded, and it's on. It's literally it's it, it's either him or probably somebody else is going to get killed in that thing, Murph. It
1: is, and and you know that you don't. That's why you don't hear law enforcement bragging about this shooting. Someone is taken very very seriously. You know regardless of what you hear in the media, there are some bad cops. They're very few. It's less than 1% of all law enforcement in the United States, and, and I'm guessing other parts of the world as well. But it's not something that you go around and brag about. And you heard the emotion in Mike's voice today, you know, and the fact that he's been recognized all over the United States with multiple, multiple, multiple awards. And he finally had to say, stop it. That's not what this is about whatsoever. So God bless Mike. Thank you so much for telling your story today.
0: Yeah, pal, uh, brother, uh, stay safe. Uh, He's out there teaching other law enforcement how to stay safe and avoid issues like this. So um, that's good. So remember, folks, we hope you enjoyed it. Leave us some uh, feedback, leave us some reviews, go to Apple Podcasts, hit that five stars, it's magic. It's like Disney, it's like Magic Kingdom. We don't know why it works. We don't know why it's magic, but it does work. And your help really helps. Uh, Head on over to Game of Crimes Podcast for more info about the show. We'll be constantly updating it as we go along. And also follow us on social media, Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and Game of Crimes Podcast on Instagram. Go to PayPal, use our Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever makes it easier for you. And before we close out... Let's tease a little bit of the next episode, Steve, because, again, this was a couple of your pals. This is the real story.
1: Oh, yeah, and this is very timely, too, coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss the next one. This is uh, Paul Crane and Abe Perez. And and for the, the DEA folks out there, you know who I'm talking about. These two guys were in charge of the DEA Mexico country office. So they happened to be there when Mr uh, El Chapo Guzman Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was captured the last time. He's now doing multiple terms here in the Let's say the States. final
0: time. <laughs> oh wow, god, let's
1: hope so. But uh, you're going to hear the real inside story on this next episode. It's a long one. It's going to be a two-parter. We're giving you a bonus episode. It'll come out in the same week, which is makes us a little unique cuz we don't make you wait a whole week to hear the second yep. part. But this is one you absolutely do not want to miss, two outstanding agents uh, just, you know, making multiple sacrifices to get the job done here.
0: And what Steve was talking about being timely, not only is it timely, uh, we both live here in Loudoun County, Virginia. Chapo's wife was arrested at the airport by the FBI, and it looks like what's going to happen is she kind of got dumped on by the brothers, I believe, and, you know, some other stuff. So... It's one of those things. What goes around comes around. So, Steve, I predict that she's probably. Uh, it looks like she's cooperating right now and going to give up a lot of info on the Sinaloa cartel.
1: Oh yeah, you know she's going to have a target on her back.
0: Yeah, and that's this is the reality of it. So, so anyway, folks, stay tuned for that. Episode eight is coming out. It is a two-parter. Part one will drop on Monday, as always. Part two will drop on Thursday. You guys are going to enjoy this. So, in the meantime. Let's get ready to play the biggest game of all... The Game of Crimes.